they teach teacher to assert All right, good afternoon and welcome to the Keeg Live, the show brought to you by the Keeg, where we talk about a new geek topic every geek week. I'm your host, Dimitri Pereira, and today, this week, we are talking about the ultimate Marvel brand. Uh, I think it started in 2001 or 2000, uh, no, 2000, and it ended, what, 2018, officially, 2017, but... Uh, we're here to talk about that first part leading up to Ultimatum, and I can't do it alone. I never have, and I never will. That's why I've brought on two awesome guests for you guys today. Uh, returning to the show, he's been on a lot lately, Gil Barron. Gil, how you doing? Man, I am doing great. I'm really excited to talk about this because there's so much uh, Marvel history and geek history involved with the, the Ultimate Universe. Yeah. Uh, it's been a long time coming. I think Ultimate Marvel, I mean, it's been... It's been 20 years since it started, so uh, it's about time, uh, you know, some show of importance like this one gave it its proper retrospective. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. We're here to tackle that. We're here to tackle it. Uh, who else is here? We got fellow geek and enthusiast Andrew Chang. Andrew, how you doing here? Hey. How you doing today? I'm doing all right. Doing yeah? Right. Pretty excited to be on the show. Uh, first time on the show, yeah. Uh, I hope that you got those M&Ms uh, that we sent to your trailer. Um, I took out all the red ones by hand. So, you know, per your request. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we go above and beyond on this show. So um, if you guys need anything, uh, uh, let, uh, let uh, my production assistant know, I guess. Um, actually, I do have a production assistant sometimes when we're on it but anyway regardless no m&ms i'm sorry uh we're doing this all on twitch uh we're here to talk about ultimate marvel which in the year what 2000 i, I was looking up the dates november 2000 uh is when ultimate spider-man came out uh and that was marvel's attempt to create an, its own side universe without affecting its main 616 universe a side universe where things were younger hipper cooler you know, started from fresh, um, and it starts off with uh, Spider-Man in November 2000, and then X-Men in February 2001. Uh, Ultimate Spider-Man, Ultimate X-Men, mm. then paved the way for the Ultimates, uh, which, you know, uh, one could love it or hate it, but uh, we'll go over uh, whether you guys loved it or hated it. What were you guys' like earliest experiences with the Ultimate Universe? Were you guys there from the start? Andrew, go ahead. Yeah, I was. I think I was very Ultimate Spider-Man. Um, this was. This was. Um, well, this was a few years after Static had come out from Milestone, and so I was okay. still very down with. And, and Static is in some ways kind of like a, a young Spider-Man-ish kind of guy, right? This teen nerd put upon all this stuff like he's, he's very spider-man in, in a lot of ways and yeah. and so to bring back spider-man back to that age because by 2000 uh adult spider-man was was long since like he's not even a reporter anymore he's or i, I don't think he is he's, he's mainly doing something else and so he was a college long, professor at the time yeah something he's, like he's he was a teacher past being like this put upon teenager like so to bring back spider-man himself and be like yeah let's do a teen spider-man i was like really down with that well, that's the thing I keep um, thinking about in terms of the history of the whole thing, of like why why it existed, why it came about. 
And I think that the in the 90s, Marvel generally was just getting more and more convoluted, right? And this wasn't the first time that they had tried to say like, okay, well, there's going to be a Marvel universe for the old fans and then a Marvel universe for the new fans, right? Yeah. Yeah, and keep in mind, they, they went bankrupt in 96. Uh, and 90, and like the Clone Saga was around there. The whole speculation boom and bust was uh, in the 90s. And so Marvel was also selling out their properties, their TV or movie properties. You know, they were trying, yep. they were throwing everything at the wall uh, to see what stuck. And uh, Ultimate Marvel was their, not their first attempt at doing this, these type of things, but it was the one that made the most impact. And I would say, I mean, we'll go over impact later, but I mean, it saved the whole thing, I think. Um, Andrew, I interrupted you, know, you a little bit. Sorry. Yeah, Andrew. No, I was going to say, when you when you put in that timeline, you also make me think of uh, Marvel losing their top artist to Image. Mm -hmm, that's right. Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, like, uh, who were the guys who left? Was it, I mean, Rob Liefeld left, right? And then Scott uh, McFarlane. McFarlane, Jim Lee. Yeah. Uh, the top three. Um, yeah. Cortasio, Eric Larson. Um, yeah. Was Larson a Marvel artist at the time? He was like the sec the guy they brought in to back up McFarlane on, on oh. some of the, I think, on Amazing. Hmm. Yeah, uh, Spider-Man so was super convoluted was, back then, like yeah, super the convoluted. Thinking about was uh, Heroes Reborn, which was the prototype version of the Ultimate Universe. They they did an incontinuity in story reason why this stuff split off, and they literally pulled these characters out of the Marvel Universe to let them start over. So this character... So explain to me, because I actually don't know that much about Heroes Reborn. Was it a separate line, or did they just re like rewrite the, the main line? So it was going to be its own line, and they, it's exactly what you were saying, is so many of these characters were so convoluted, had so much baggage on them, and weren't selling well, that Marvel was like, well, what if we take them out of the Marvel Universe? Our biggest, Their biggest hits at the time were probably Spider-Man and X-Men, probably due to the, the cartoons. And they wanted to uh, take these other characters and sort of re revitalize them. So the whole Onslaught event happened in X-Men. Uh, a merged Magneto-Professor X hybrid called Onslaught raged across the universe. And the way that the world was saved is Franklin Richards created a pocket universe where he took all of these heroes that were dying or died or whatever, and he threw them into this pocket universe where their lives essentially started over. And okay. that included the Avengers, including Captain America and Iron Man, that, and Thor. It included the Fantastic Four. Uh, who else yeah. did it include? For it didn't Thor? include Spider-Man or X-Men, right? Like, they were purposely right. left out of Heroes Reborn. No Spider-Man, no X-Men. Right, so those were the characters that were like still in the Marvel Universe, and I think Heroes Reborn lasted over a year, something like that, and I kind of think it would have gone on if it, if it had been a success, and it would have oh, yeah. just been like, well, that's the universe where all of our heroes have been reborn, and this is our regular universe, and, you know, famously did uh, include, you know, Rob Liefeld doing Captain America, where he had all of that terrible anatomy and it had oh man with the 
eagle on his on his forehead instead of the A. And yeah. I remember really liking that because I don't think there's any reason for him to have an A on the forehead. But right. yes, the eagle like made more sense in terms of like a military symbolism. But it was still just a weird, weird thing to do. And yeah, Fantastic Four was done by Jim Lee and Brandon Choi. That's pretty incredible. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Yeah, Jim uh, Lee was doing Fantastic Four, and the stuff was absolutely gorgeous. And uh, and yeah, so it really it definitely got me interested um, in Fantastic Four. And I remember loving the Heroes Reborn Iron Man armor. I thought that was really cool. Oh, yeah, it was pretty sick. That was pretty sick, yeah. I think it was like the first time that I noticed someone drew the Iron Man armor as actual mechanical parts. That yeah. I noticed that. Was that... Uh, and and because you guys know probably know more about milestone than I do, was that armor kind of um, uh, based off of mainframe? Was it main? No, is it ma- no yeah, hardware? Uh, not hardware. Yeah. Well, who am I thinking? Well, who's mainframe? I don't know. But okay, but hardware. Yeah, hardware was such a unique look. I don't know. It's uh, we've talked about this. We I kind of brought this up last time. Uh-huh. How weird it is that the three. Uh, major homage characters to Iron Man, who I guess uh-huh. would be War Machine, Hardware, and Steel, are all black men. Mm, and I yeah. don't know what that's trying to say, or what that, or what it does say uh, about like the way we treat black men in fiction. Um, yeah. But I don't know. I think the Hardware armor was really unique because, like, he didn't really have a faceplate. He just kind of had like almost like um, like boxing sparring gear, like padding. Oh yeah. Face. yeah, yeah. Well, what hardware had that um, I think carries into at least the MCU and, and also the Ultimate Universe Iron Man was um, it was a huge production to get him into the suit. Like There was yeah. a, a big, complicated set of machinery that would put it on around him um, where, where uh, traditional Iron Man of 616 really had this sort of uh, self-assembling suit. And, and, and so then you, you see it back in, in the first Ultimate uh Iron Man, or in the first Ultimates, where Iron Man has a whole team of humans putting the suit. Oh yeah, the yeah, there's right. a lot of work into it. He has a whole team. Like uh, in the Ultimates, when you bring in Tony Stark, like you show that Tony Stark can't do it alone. He has literally his whole company set up for his removal and put on, like, put on and removal of his suit, right? Um, and there's like a goo. The, the Ultimates goes really into depth on how these things may or may not work. And they mm-hmm. tried to make things realistic to the point of, um, is Thor actually a god? Um, right. And, and like, that, that whole thing. That was a storyline for the, the Ultimates. Yeah. It was, is he a god or isn't he a god? And, uh, like, there's a main major storyline where, um, where it's discovered that he's this mental patient. And it turns out that that's all these machinations of Loki. And it's really incredible. Yeah, I mean, what would be more incredible is if that whole run, which uh, was 12 issues by Mark Miller in uh, Ultimate 2, if that whole run didn't take uh, two years. So, like, <laughs> like it took two years for Mark Miller to wrap up Ultimates 2. And, like... Okay. I don't uh, know. Was it, was it Miller? I, I, assume, I assume those, uh, those, kind of, those authority artists um, were slow. Brian Hitch? Brian Hitch is, is, is I, I really like Hitch a lot. I just yeah. kind of assumed that he was not the fastest artist. Uh, it could have been it could have been Brian Hitch's fault, but I mean, 
I don't know. Probably. I mean, I, I would assume that it's uh, the artist. When, when it comes to delays, it tends to be either the artist is is drawing two comics at once because they can't handle that much, or the writer is writing like five comics at once because, like, mm. you know what I mean? Uh, who who does it? I mean, Jeff Johns is de- like, but he Jeff Johns doesn't have delays really. Doomsday Clock, mm-hmm. no Doom. Doomsday Clock was the big one recently, right? With Jeff Johnson. Right. Delays. What else was What else was he writing at the same time? Was he? I don't know. I, I guess don't know. probably Shazam, right? Shazam had delays too, right? Yeah, yeah. So it sometimes happens with like a writer becoming too big and biting off more than he can chew. So I don't know if Mark Miller had that at the time. So maybe it was Brian Hitch. Um, but the point being is like the Ultimates two having delays certainly didn't help. Uh, then with their consideration of like they when they moved on to Jeff Loeb in Ultimates 3 you know what I mean so, so I didn't I bother know. with Ultimates 3 just because it was such a big departure from oh. it and I was I was super on board with uh, the Mark Miller stuff I think it was like the first time it it really was the first time that that comics felt like a movie and mm. um and it really felt like he was you know digging down like what would it really mean if these avengers were out here and i think it doesn't i don't know that it holds up i think you go back and you're like oh he's really projecting a lot of human foibles on these characters and they're very unrecognizable from like you know any recognizable version of of iron man and captain america yeah but it definitely was the first time i was like oh yeah he's really like taking this to its logical uh conclusion right and the Jeff Loeb stuff just felt so much more superhero-y and so much more like regular Marvel. And although I love Joe Maduera, I am, you know, I, I really love looking at his art. At that point, I was like, well, why am I not checking this out in the main in the main comics? Which I think yeah. goes back to the point you were making off air, the, like the thing that kind of killed it. But maybe we're not there yet. Uh, no, we're not there yet. But, oh, man. Uh... I mean, we're—I mean, literally, this episode is talking about the Ultimate Universe up until Ultimatum, which was pure crap. Uh, and we'll talk about how crappy it was uh, uh, later. But uh, what was your guys' first series, Ultimate series, Spider-Man? Was it Spider-Man for yep. you, Andrew? And then yep. Gil, yep. what was it for you? Mine was really Ultimates, and then I went back later and read a few of the Spider-Man trades, uh, which I definitely love, and uh, you know. My understanding is that really put Bendis on the map, right? Yeah. And um, and that really got him onto Daredevil and then Avengers and everything else. Um, yeah. But I know recently, now that Bendis is uh, part of the DC stable, he's about yeah. to be finishing his run on Superman. Um, you know, I know when he was doing those interviews, he was talking about how Peter David's Young Justice informed his Spider-Man. That he was, okay. that his Spider-Man yeah. was really in conversation with these these runs of like Chuck Dixon on on Robin or you know um, uh, the later Marv Wolfman Teen Titans stuff or Teen right. Titans and all of those things and so like his Spider-Man was really and like you said you know McDuffie's uh, static you know every every era really has their version of Spider-Man. And, you know, and for a long time, DC had 
have the monopoly on it between Robin and between Static and then Ultimate Spider-Man coming in was really Marvel taking that that whole Spider-Man thing back the whole idea of like a young hero that people can really relate to um right you know then eventually eventually Invincible comes around and and other and you know Kamala mm. Khan and those kind of characters but <clears throat> I love I love Invincible. That's a different episode, but like I love Invincible. Um, isn't there a lot of DNA of Bendis's Ultimate Spider-Man in Invincible? Oh yeah, oh yeah. Well, they do. It's so funny. There's an issue of Invincible where where the main character Mark, right? Mark Grayson. Yep. Uh, he goes to Comic Con and he talks with an artist about decompression in storytelling and it's supposed to, <laughs> yeah. it's a commentary on bendis and he he yeah. uh mark says to the he was like don't you think it's lazy that you just reuse panels in the same page to like decompress it or whatever and then like it 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 shows the artist the artist's face in the same frame multiple <laughs> times and he goes no <laughs> and it's it's so funny and it's such a good commentary on bendis and uh, that's like Robert Kirkman, like throwing a couple jabs, you know, without being too mean, you know. Yeah. Well, what you uh, say about Invincible? Actually, um, I remember talking with a friend about, about like there aren't that many kind of optimistic, cheerful superheroes now. I said, "What about Invincible?" And this was when Invincible was into its like halfway through its run. I said, "Well, it's not anymore." Like if you if you really read what Invincible's doing right now, it's just kind of really, it, it's that guy, but he's also really gory. The punching people apart all the time yeah i mean even though there was violence there was still a hopeful nature to invincible just like Mm -hmm. ultimate spider-man ultimate spider-man had hope right Mm -hmm. like that's what bendis went on record saying and that was his bendis's problem with miller is miller is nihilistic uh and and so ultimate x-men and ultimates belongs in its own like pocket but ultimate spider-man doesn't seem like it belongs in that same universe because it's hopeful versus the other miller properties being nihilistic and that was kind of bendis's problem yeah um especially i I mean but isn't that i don't know isn't that every comic book universe you have you know the punisher exists in the same world as as spider-man right they literally you have batman and superman you have batman and superman you have right green lantern and <laughs> challengers of the unknown and you know and, and all <laughs> challengers of the unknown i don't know i'm just saying like you have a yeah. broad spectrum of villains mm. and characters and they don't all like there's no reason why you know a hopeful spider-man can't live next to a really cynical and nihilistic uh avengers yeah I think that they were, though, with a reboot, they were going for a more cohesive universe. And I think that that was tough for them. And then they created Ultimate Fantastic Four. And uh, uh, that, that kind of... really a misstep, right? It actually did pretty well, according to what yeah. I had researched. Um, because it was blueprinted beforehand, and it had to, they had to figure out how will it fit in the Ultimate Universe. It wasn't just, like, slap... Slap dashery haphazardly put in yeah so uh and like that i mean it wasn't my cup of tea but i did read certain key runs of ultimate fantastic four um like the marvel zombies came out of ultimate fantastic four uh actually that's yeah that's what paul said in the comments right now we said it at the same time um but yeah uh did you guys read that run 
No, I'm so sorry. <laughs> oh, man. The the Marvel Zombies... Okay, so, like, check it. Ultimate Fantastic Four. Uh, like, this whole time with Ultimate Marvel, like, fans are like, oh, when is it going to cross over with the 616, right? Like, when when are both of these universes going to uh, uh, reverence each other? That? I, I don't know. Why was that so I many think, people want I the think they just toy, wanted I to see. Toy. I want to put play them, play them together. Right, right. Um, and so basically, Reed Richards in Ultimate Fantastic Four sent out drones to different time uh, universes, and he sent the drones out to find different versions of himself, which he does. And uh, Reed Richards, the older Reed Richards from the Six One Six, replies, and so they have a conversation. So he's like, open the door between the universes. And he does, and it turns out it's not 616 Reed, it's Zombie Reed from the Zombie Universe. And this was a run written by Robert Kirkman. So Robert Kirkman wrote, uh, I think he wrote the Ultimate Fantastic Four uh, couple arcs there, and then went over to Marvel Zombies. But the point being is, it opens up the door uh, to the Zombie Fantastic Four. And so that's the first time we see them. And that's when we see their universe where Magneto is on the run and he gets eaten and ultimate doom goes over to the zombie universe and like gets left there. He like sacrifices himself to close the gate and he goes there. So it was pretty cool. Like that stuff was pretty cool. Oh my gosh. You know? I'm looking at some of this heroes reborn stuff. Cause we've been talking uh -huh. about it and I yeah. forgot that the end of, that the end of heroes reborn was a crossover with the wild storm universe. Re wow. Yeah, they were, that's, they that's were swinging like the, for the fences there. That's the big ending of uh, Heroes Reborn is like Grifter and uh, and the Wildcats show up. And that is that is a weird tonally And even that big purple character from Wildcats, I don't even know that character's name. Is it Max or whatever? Person. Max it's with like M A U L. No. Was it M A U L? Something like that. Uh, and he joins the Fantastic Four. So weird. Do yeah, I replaced that. Is or do they just... Okay, okay, yeah. Um, I, I always kind of admire how the that team kind of kicks someone out just in time to yeah. keep the number. Yeah, there's always four, no matter what. <laughs> okay, now there's six. Now there's six. Yeah, un until yeah. recently. Technically. Uh, and then they did Future uh, Foundation. You know, Which they did FF. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, their FF, their yeah. Future Foundation, I think that all makes a lot more sense than trying to, like, maintain that there are four of them, especially when you have, like, you know, all these ancillary heroes that for sure could be part of a great uh, Fantastic Four run, like like Ghost Rider and, and She-Hulk and, and Wolverine and Spider-Man and all of that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, um, to get back to what you're saying about the cohesiveness of the Ultimate yeah. Universe, um, I, I actually, like, the, the original Marvel Universe is, is, like, Jack Kirby and other people kind of making up ideas as they go along. Yeah. And, and when they had the Ultimate Universe, they had this idea, like, okay, so what if Captain America was the first, and then everything else is just, like, why don't we make another super soldier serum? Like, can we do that again? And, and that's where Spider-Man comes from, and that's where, like, Iron Man sort of comes from, I think, and and that's where like a lot of the heroes and villains come from. Is this like yeah. the super the yes, super serum? Absolutely, and that very much ties into the way that they constructed the MCU. Like, well, what are the things mm. that we can like, you know, 
poured over from from hero to hero. Whatever, what's if we could have this story of Captain America in the past? Doesn't it make sense that the Hulk is an attempt to replicate that? Doesn't it right. make sense that Shield has existed from this time to this time, and that Avengers that the Avengers come together uh, by virtue of Shield, which absolutely comes from the Ultimates. I think it's an attempt to make Captain America matter when he didn't matter for so long. Yeah. Um, in the in the six one six universe, <laughs> like I okay. So when it comes to six one six universe, up until Ultimate came out, even as a kid, I only cared about Spider Man and X Men, and you can tell that Marvel only valued that, like not only, but like for the most part, valued Spider Man, X Men. Those were their money making properties. You could see it with Ultimate Spider Man and Ultimate X Men, and like nobody cared about Avengers. Like I didn't. I didn't care about Avengers. I did not care about Avengers comics. I didn't care about the Kree Skrull War. I was into DC and then Spider Man and X Men, and that was it. Right. Yeah. I, but so like, here's what, I, here's what I feel like the Avengers was at least in the '90s when I was reading. Because yeah. you I, in DC you went and you know up and after the death of Superman, um, you know there was still kind of floundering around with different like weird lineups of of jla characters and jla runs but then by what is it 1995 96 when they do uh when morrison's jla comes about yeah it's like oh it is the main characters of the dcu got yeah. it and the avengers has never been that which is no. so crazy and the only time it was ever that is maybe the first lineup of the avengers but they still have ant-man and wasp there who who's who was excited about them in 1963 yeah. nobody yes yeah. characters right if if marvel wanted to do i mean i think marvel finally now is doing their version of morrison's jla with avengers where you have very specifically a captain america thor uh iron man triumvirate captain marvel black panther and then kind of a rotating list of people like like ghost rider doctor strange all these like very the popular characters and it feels yeah. very much analogous to what morrison was doing like this is the the main book you got to put your biggest heavy hitters on there right the way i described it back in the day was that justice league is dc's most powerful and most popular heroes it just so happens that dc's most powerful and most popular are the same now with avengers yeah. Avengers are supposed to be the most powerful Marvel heroes, but Marvel didn't run on that concept. Like, their cooler heroes were their least powerful. Spider-Man, let's just say. Or, like, even Wolverine. And Wolverine, in a cosmic sense, is not that powerful. So, like, the X-Men had what was going for them was their themes. Spider-Man, their themes, uh, his themes. But, like, Avengers didn't have, like, ongoing themes that were, like, uh, really uh, 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 connecting with the audience in that same way. So it was mm. like, oh, people who could fight cosmic threats, they're the Avengers. But like, I didn't care about them because their most powerful weren't their most popular. And so new, when Bendis takes over on new Avengers in what, 2002, 2001? No. When? Was he, was he doing it at the same time as Ultimate Spider-Man? I would say it was later. I'm going to okay. say... Five or eight. Okay. Yeah. Um, point being is that like that's when Spider-Man and Wolverine get added to the Avengers lineup for the first time, and Avengers starts picking up pace. And then they add Doctor Strange to get more powerful, and like all these characters that weren't Avengers normally were now Avengers. And yeah. so um, there was there was a point uh, where you kind of 
felt like like the it was kind of artificial that that spider-man wasn't an avenger like the the idea is oh well he's kind of hated by the public or something but right but no, it felt right. a little artificial in, in the sense like in the real world we know he's the most popular marvel character why is he not on the avengers book and yeah it, it, yeah it's weird that they took so long to do that i remember when they finally did it, it was like oh it took you so long to do it. you should have done it earlier same with wolverine right mm. like yeah, yeah, yeah. wolverine wolverine's a moneymaker say what you want about wolverine but wolverine's a moneymaker right you yeah. put him into anything like he sells you know spider-man 2 wolverine and spider-man are like top two you know yeah, um, definitely. so like with uh so leading up to ultimate marvel like Avengers were doing Heroes Reborn, and I felt like Heroes Reborn was an attempt to make uh, these characters that couldn't support themselves normally, like, extend their life and reinvigorate Avengers, Fantastic Four, give Captain America his own series, which he had, but you know what I mean. So Captain America, I, I feel, didn't matter. So now you link yeah. his super soldier and, serum and start the Marvel universe, the ultimate Marvel universe with that and make it matter. Like I think it I'm gives wrong. Captain America hope or a reason to live. Yeah. Correct me if I'm wrong. At, right after heroes reborn is when Wade and Wade and Garney take over Captain America, right? Um, the, the Captain like America run. That's I feel huh. like that's a big moment for Captain America and making him relevant again was Mark Wade on Captain America. What what run was was that post September 11th? Because that's no, the... this would be pre. Okay, because um, that was Heroes Reborn. It lasts until 1997. So this is Operation Rebirth. Let me pull it down off the shelf. It's that one right there. It oh, okay. That's, that? Is that the one with uh, Captain America armor? That armor no. that he has? No. At least not in this first arc. I'm gonna I'm gonna look for what year year this is. If this comes right after, I feel like this comes right after um, Heroes Reborn. Um, let me see. No, this is actually before. This is 1995, and Heroes Reborn is oh. 1995. Because I think after Heroes Reborn the reinvigoration of Captain America was post-September 11th, where he dives out of a helicopter, he has the, the the Batman nose on his mask, and he fights terrorists, right? Sure, okay. and then you kind of get into the Brubaker era, right? Yeah, Brube yeah Brubaker, mm. I mean, basically, this is a ramping up of Marvel. Ultimate Marvel, without Ultimate Marvel, we wouldn't have a lot of things, and things would be so different, but it, it makes a Captain America matter. It uh, uh, creates a timeline and also kind of ups his power set, right? Like, Captain America's going toe-to-toe -to -toe with the Hulk, like in Ultimates, right? Yeah, I mean, it, it definitely gives makes him a little bit Batman-y, right? Like, uh, of course he's the best, he's the best tactician, so that's how it's gonna how he's gonna beat anybody that he needs to. You know, this, yeah. this A doesn't stand for France and all of that. Oh, yeah. So... Yeah, when but, we're talking but, about Miller's nihilism, happened. oh, sorry, yeah, 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 Andrew. No, I was just gonna say in the was it the third Captain America movie where he's holding back a helicopter by himself? Like that's beyond peak, peak human. Like that, right. that's superhuman. Sure. So, right. Yeah. No, and right. he also he fights Thanos, right? Like he takes a punch to the shield for Thanos, mm. or like his his arm. What was it? It was like a punch. 
right? And so, like, like holding, he's holding his hand back. Yeah, right. So, uh, it's weird. Uh, you got okay. So you guys have both read Ultimates, right? Yes. Mm. So, like, Captain America—that's like the first time Captain America jumps out of a helicopter and he doesn't wear a parachute, right? Like that. From that big, from like, I think it's issue two or three, where um, they make Bucky like the photographer who's who's along for the ride and the yeah, uh, along with his squadron. So he's not really a superhero. He's just kind of like Captain America's friend. Uh, And Captain America's like, I don't need a parachute. I'm just gonna jump out and do this thing and you know everything miller does is like look how badass this character is Um, right essentially clint eastwood as a as a superhero right and speaking of clint eastwood like they make captain america a little bit racist you know racist yeah a little little racist the 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 thing that you kind of didn't see in in 616 at the time was really acknowledging he was born in like 1930 or 19. 20. Right, because he had been in modern times for so long that he, he was more like, you know, Captain America the Avenger than Captain America the Man at a Time. Yeah. Yeah. So I feel like, yeah, Captain America didn't really matter leading up to, you know, that. And then, uh, but they make him an asshole. Like, Ultimate's, like, Ultimate Captain America is an asshole. But I think that's a commentary. Asshole, though. Oh, everyone in that in that group is an asshole though. Cause remember like, and you're, you're almost applauding for him as the asshole because he's the guy who takes down Hank Pym after he hits uh, Janet. Right. Yeah. And I, you know, what's weird, you know, we don't talk about it anymore as part of that character's history, but I feel like for a long, long time, that was the thing people remembered when you talked about Ant-Man it was like, yeah, well, how do you, put, how do you make an Ant-Man movie with Hank Pym? Because the thing people remember about him is the one time he hit his wife, right? Yeah. And um, and the Ultimates made that a bigger moment. And then, like, they literally go on a manhunt for him. Because he, he hits her, and then he... I mean, no, he really beats the shit out of her, In, right? in, in Ultimates, right? Yeah, am I wrong? It, it's upsetting. Yeah. You know, he, he, she, uh, she shrinks, and then he uses bug spray on her. It's, yeah, it's, yeah. It's upsetting. Yeah, it's yeah, it's straight up abusive, and uh, as opposed to the way that it, that original story played out in Marvel, where it was kind of like, "Oh my God, what have I done? I've accidentally hit my wife." Um, yeah, not that that's good or whatever, no. but uh, you know, in the Ultimates, like it's a full-on attack. Yeah, and uh, Captain America just kind of like walks away and takes him down, and the vibe of it is like, "We didn't treat women like that in my day." Is kind of like what the whole vibe of of that that scene is it's so weird and i really think that that's essentially the reason why hank pym is not the ant-man of the mcu because yeah also hank hank pym's personality is kind of lacking like leading up right I mean, they could have given him any personality they wanted. It's the MCU. Every hero has the same personality. They all are sort of wisecracking, you know. Yeah. Yeah, I'm with you there. Man-child guys, you know, that's who they all are, except yeah. Captain America. In the Ultimates, though, uh, Cap Cap is a, a you know Mister Steal Your Girl, though, right? Like he's like there's kind of a thing like 
it's 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 one thing to go out and beat up somebody who beat up his girlfriend, but then to steal his girl afterwards. I'll treat you better. I'm old fashioned. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah, and and it's not super clear why that. I mean, I haven't read it in a while. Maybe like she's attracted to him after he does that, but um, it seems like it's very quickly like. Well, this is what you do, you know, when you kiss someone, you're now dating them and that's your girl now. And so it, it really did feel like a clash of context, a clash of eras. Um, so I think, look, I think Miller was really saying something. I think that he had a take. And the thing that I always liked about both Ultimates volumes, um, say what you will about the scheduling issues, but they definitely felt like they were telling one big story a piece. Yeah. Um, and the, I, I, you know, obviously it's not the first, sorry, comic to do that, but it's the first one that I, that I recall reading where I could really see the seams. I was like, okay, well, this is setting up to pay off here. And this is, this is going to mean something here. Mm. And I don't know. I, I, I just, I thought that book was so influential and clearly it was super influential on the Marvel universe, on the Marvel cinematic universe, especially. Oh, uh, yeah. you know, you open up that first issue of ultimates and you, you're staring Samuel L. Jackson in the face. Oh, yeah. Um, so, yeah, that was interesting because uh, Ultimate Nick Fury gets gets introduced in Ultimate X-Men Volume 2. The, the Weapon X, the whole Weapon X arc, that's Ultimate Nick Fury, but he's not drawn like Samuel L. Jackson. He's drawn... He... He's black, but he's, he's, okay. uh, he's slim-faced. He has his patch. He's more suave. He's more of a James Bond than he is. Uh, he's not uh, bald. He's not bald, right? Yeah. So he's more like the current MCU Nick Fury. Uh, current MCU but, Nick Fury is bald, though. Or, sorry, the, the current um, six one six Nick Fury is what I meant. Oh, six. Yeah, hmm. I don't know. Uh, he's he's bald too. Current uh, the six one six Nick Fury is bald. Is but the point being is, yeah, uh, yeah, he's kind of like that. I, I don't think it's based off any, any actor, but, like, he is clearly black, and he's James Bond with, like, gadgets in his, like, suit, you know? Like, he's clearly meant to be James Bond. Um, and then when, when Hitch draws him, he draws him as Samuel L. Jackson. And you can tell in the Ultimates art that, like, they're all based off of actors, right? Kind of. I don't know that they're all super clearly based on actors. Thor is Brad like Pitt. Who, who Thor is Brad Pitt. Someone Thor is definitely Angelina Brad Jolie. Pitt. Who's who's yeah. Angelina Jolie? Uh, Bruce Banner is, is. Well, eventually Maria Hill is Angelina Jolie, right? When she gets introduced in the six one six, like uh, uh, Scarlet Witch was definitely Angelina Jolie. Because once oh. he introduces Scarlet Witch and clicks Quicksilver, he super leans into the uh, the the incest, you know, undertones. Mm. Oh, right, mm. yeah. Like he uh, hard. Miller Miller just likes uh, lights celebrity faces. You go back to Wanted, um, and and there's Eminem and Halle Berry. And... Yeah. So yeah. So from what I understand, actually, I think. I think Miller actually did ask Samuel Jackson, can we use your likeness in Ultimates? So in 2008, I was an intern at Marvel Studios um, and I was given the job the night before 
the release of Iron Man or the night before the premiere of Iron Man uh, to walk a DVD over to the publicity department. It, it was an, it was like an external third party publicity house that was in the same neighborhood. And I was asked to walk it over there, watch it with their head publicity person and walk it back. And uh, and answer whatever questions they had or whatever. And I didn't even know what was on this DVD. Literally, no idea. And I walk it over, and it's the night before Iron Man premieres. And I sit down with them, and it's that scene. It's you've just become part of a larger universe. And I'm sitting there, and I'm like geeking the the hell out. And they're like, "Wow, Samuel Jackson. Okay, so that's going to be a big surprise. Okay." And so I have to explain to them what Nick Fury is, what S.H.I.E.L.D. is, what the Avengers are, but also the fact that, that Samuel L. Jackson's casting is also a reference to the Ultimates, which, you know, obviously no one thinks about now, but that was really a huge moment. I think that was a big part of the excitement when that scene comes up in Iron Man, is people being like, oh, we were primed for this casting specifically, and it's really exciting to see the guy whose face we saw on the page in the Ultimates on screen right now. So it places yes. the MCU firmly in an Ultimates adjacent kind of vibe, right? Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, you're watching that first Iron Man and that first Hulk. And, you know, S.H.I.E.L.D. is so much a part of even that, that Hulk um, movie. Uh, it's, it's kind of like unnamed, but it is part of it. Um, that like you, those those early days watching those MCU movies, you're like, I know where this is going because I've read the Ultimates, and mm-hmm. you know there was a lot of like we didn't know how closely to the comics they would adhere. For all I knew, they were going to take the Miller template of everything and make that the template of the MCU. And in a lot of ways, they they did at least not not in tone, but very much in terms of like the backstory of all those characters. Yeah, well, uh, if you think about, like, Ultimates really affected that first phase one of the MCU, right? For sure. Um, yeah. The fact is, like, Tony Stark had to have a whole, like, a, uh, a machine to put on his suit. It took a while, right? Uh, he was snarky. He was drinking. Um, yeah, the I, fact that the bad guys of Avengers are the Chitauri as opposed to the Skrulls. Right, which was weird to me. Because I was watching Avengers and I kept expecting the Chitari to shapeshift. Like, I was like, that's going to be a twist. Because the Chitari. Because yeah. the scrolls in Ultimates were called the Chitari, but then the Chitari in the MCU were not the scrolls. And then the Chitari in the 616 are based off of the Chitari in the MCU. So in the 616, we have the Chitari and the scrolls not related. Right. So it was this weird borrowing of things. Um, but uh, 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 I, I like the way they're handling the scrolls now. It makes sense that they are being primed as a bigger part of phase four and beyond. My guess is that one of the bigger movies of phase four or phase five is going to be an adaptation of uh, of Secret War, or not Secret War, the Secret Invasion, I mean. I think yeah. Secret Invasion is, is what they're setting up. Um, and my... This is, this is getting into MCU speculation, but my guess is that as 
Fantastic Four gets introduced, as um, X-Men maybe gets introduced, the big thing that it's going to lead up to is going to be Galactus. That is the only heightening you can do after Thanos. Like once Thanos is off the board, the only thing you can do is Galactus. So at some point, your next three phases leading up to like our next big climax is going to be, you know, Secret Invasion and maybe Doctor Doom. I, I, uh, I mean, this is going to MCU speculation, but I personally think that Galactus, the coming of Galactus is too similar to the coming of Thanos. And, uh, but it's even less personal. Like Thanos is human sized ish, eight feet, nine feet, 10 feet. But the point being is like Silver Surfer is part of it. Then you can have a human face on it. Yeah, it's true. Uh, it could go that direction. Keep in mind, there are other Fantastic Four, like Kang, they, uh, uh, is supposedly cast in Ant-Man 3. Kang is going to sure. be played by Jonathan Majors, I think is uh, is the actor's name, from Lovecraft Country. And so, right. like, uh, Kang could be a <clears throat> franchise-level villain and just appear in Ant-Man 3 and then kind of go on from there. But Doom, Magneto, Kang uh, uh, are, are Avengers-level threats. And you could focus on them before you focus on Galactus. Speaking of Galactus, did you guys read the Ultimate Galactus arc? So I never read this, and I guess there's a trilogy of them? Yes. Am I, am I mistaken? Is yes. that something I gotta go back and read? Are they good? No. Because okay. it, 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 it has... Andrew, did you did you read that one? Uh, I actually just reread uh, the, the third of the three. Um, okay. Yeah, the final one, right? This is where we get Cloud Galactus, right? That yes. from the second Fantastic Four movie. Yeah. And, well, this is also where where the Ultimate Universe liked to try to to reel back some of the concepts of a little of, of mainline and and make them a little more realistic. Uh, how so? I don't know why Space Cloud is more realistic than Giant Guy, but yeah. Well, yeah. in 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 sense, in the sense of a Giant Guy who has. Um, a very Kirby-esque helmet, and and eats planets. Instead, uh, uh, the ultimate Galactus, uh, yeah, he, he he just kills planets. He doesn't eat them. It, it's not it's not um, it's not this cosmic, badly defined mission of, of something. It, it's it's just a, a it's a, rampaging locust. Really, right, yeah. Like there's the, no reasoning like with it, mm-hmm. which I get. I think. I, yeah, and I actually think that is one of those ideas that had merit. And I think that, um, you know, in the end, in the second Fantastic Four movie, the problem really is with execution and tone. I think the idea of, I think we've, um, you know, in the 616, people talk about Galactus as a force of nature all the time. That's kind of the, the, the wording they use to describe him. So it makes sense that you're seeing a giant storm in space you know, really literalizing the idea of force of nature. I don't think that's that crazy a leap. So people make fun of the Tim Story movie and be like, why is Galactus a giant cloud? But that's the part of it that makes the most sense. You know, right. in the end, it's really the tone that doesn't Right. Um, Galactus being a giant cloud in Rise of the Silver Surfer is way better than uh, 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 Parallax being a giant cloud with a face. Like, yeah, for, <laughs> for Green Lantern, right? So, like, Giant Cloud or Giant Cloud with a face? Which one looks better? Technically, Giant Cloud without a face. 
Because why would a giant cloud have a face? I don't know. You know? Well, he's, a, he's a god parasite? Yeah. Essentially, right? <laughs> don't make me try to defend, you know, the Green, Green Lantern movie. movie. I, I don't know. Look, go back and watch the animated ones before they leave HBO Max. Those yeah. are uh, actually really strong. Both uh, yeah. both First Flight and the other one are actually really Emerald, good. Emerald Warriors, I think, right? They're, they're both really good. Um, yeah. I, I remember the first time I had heard the concept of, of a Green Lantern as a training day riff was in an issue of Wizard when they were like, what yeah. if we did the ultimate, the ultimate universe for DC? And they like had yes. this um, mock-up of a John Stewart Green Lantern. And they were like, you do it as training day. It's it's John Stewart and Sinestro. And Sinestro is the uh, Denzel part. And, and you make it training day. I was like, well, that makes the most sense. And then when they did this first flight movie, that's essentially what they did. And it was so yeah. good. Um, I still remember the ultimate DC universe articles in in uh wizard because it was like uh the first wizard magazine that i ever uh bought was the one that on the cover had superman versus goku i was in junior high and and it did a matchup because they they did a matchup between an anime and uh uh uh, uh dc or marvel so they kept match like trigun or vash the stampede versus um spider-man uh battle for the planets bird people versus the bat family so they did a lot of mashups like that in that uh issue that was the first issue that i got a couple issues later they do the ultimate dc universe uh where they talk about like superman being based off of smallville they did like a um uh, this was before batman begins so they did a batman where morgan freeman is commissioner gordon and like like they do uh, uh, a bunch of different things, and I was I was hooked on Wizard Magazine from that point on. And uh, oh, and we're finally getting a Black Commissioner Gordon in the new Batman movie, the Batman, right? Right? Yeah, Jeffrey cool. Wright. Yeah, that's really so, good casting. Yeah, yeah, and so uh, uh, the Ultimate Marvel Universe was like so big. It was so big to the so point where people were like, so yeah. And it was like, why isn't DC doing this? Because um, I'll be honest, like DC, when they did the New Fifty Two, it was like it was like an Ultimate Universe, but they half-assed it and they ruined the previous universe to make the New Fifty Two. It was essentially their Heroes Reborn, which I've never made that connection before. But that's really what it was. It was them trying to do what Heroes Reborn did, and then it eventually did. All the way up to uh, bringing the Wildcats and the Wildstorm. <laughs> like, yeah. All the way up to that. Um, yeah. Yeah. Like, DC tried it a couple of times. They tried it with the All-Star line that had a Frank Miller Batman and Grant Morrison, of course, on Superman, which that's the only one that's going to stand the test of time that people are going to go back and reread, really. is All-Star Superman. Superman. Yeah. And now they have uh, their Earth-1 line, which are sort of original graphic novels OGNs that are very creator focused very specific takes on uh Wonder Woman, Superman, Batman and Green Lantern at this point and, oh, and Teen Titans Teen Titans which uh I heard the Teen Titans was not great but I like the designs I, I like the designs too that's uh the Teen Titans cuz Teen Titans is close to my heart but essentially I think they were like oh Teen Titans all come from the same origin I forget how they did it but it didn't appeal to me i read the whole thing and i forgot about it 
Here's my thing about Teen Titans, generally. I understand that now the iconic lineup of Teen Titans is going to be that Marv Wolfman, New Teen Titans, slash Teen Titans Go, slash, uh, you know, whatever you want to call it, just that group of kids. I, it always feels like putting the cart before the horse if you don't do the original five for at least a couple of issues. If you don't say at some point, well, this was the sidekicks of the Justice League. If you don't say this is Robin, Aqualad, Speedy, Wonder Girl, and Kid Flash, if you don't say that it's those five characters, then it doesn't make an impact when that second group of characters is different from the first. You know what I mean? If yeah. you are bringing Starfire and Beast Boy, it doesn't mean anything if they aren't replacements for people who are very specifically sidekicks to the original Justice League. You know what right. I mean? Right. And I kind of feel the same way about X-Men. Uh, I feel like if you're going to do X-Men in the MCU, I really, 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 really need it to be Cyclops, Jean Grey, Beast, Iceman, and Angel. That's what I need it to be, at least for the first movie. And then you bring in the Dave Cockrum, John Byrne uh, lineup. Maybe, maybe I'm wrong. I, I, I agree with you and disagree with you at the same time. And, what? Uh, uh, yeah, here's the thing. I think that the history has to exist, but I don't yeah. think you need to start there. You okay, don't need yeah, to start chronologically. So, like, you know, I, yeah, I the, tit- the Titan show. Like, yeah. The Titan Go show's ahead. crap. The Titan show's crap. But they do say that there was a Titans team beforehand that had Aqualad uh, uh, and um, uh, Wonder Girl. Yeah, yeah. So they do state state that, and they do show flashbacks to that, which is one of the better things that the show does. The show's crap, though. Well, I think that's such an important part of all of those characters, so especially the Teen Titans, is that there are certain characters that have been working together since they're thirteen, fourteen years old. Yeah, the relationship between uh, between Wonder Girl and Robin has meaning because these people grew up together. Yeah, and eventually it's the same thing with the new Teen Titans. But part of the relationship is it's Wonder Girl and Robin and Kid Flash dealing with these four new characters who are like, "Oh, you guys kind of don't get it. You're kind of the new guys. Uh, you know, Cyborg's kind of a new hero. Beast Boy was working with the Doom Patrol, but like, yeah, we do, we don't really know you. You're kind of like the kid who came from the other school. You know, yeah, you know what I mean. And I think the same thing about the X Men is that like part of the relationship of Colossus and Storm and Nightcrawler and Banshee to Cyclops is I grew up with four other guys that are really, really important to me. And those are my best friends in the whole world. And the reason you're here is so we can go and rescue my real friends. And I think that's (laughs) at least part of that initial relationship, you know, of of Cyclops to those new, all new, all different X-Men. And eventually like, like part of the development of that whole large group is the integration of those two teams. Maybe I'm Yeah. Wrong. No, I I agree with you. I think there here here's the problem here. With Ultimate Marvel, and I'm tying this back in together. With Ultimate don't, Marvel, don't you do that. <laughs> with Ultimate Marvel, it, it has to do with like a whole restart. And this is something that like DC and Marvel have tried to do and failed uh, uh, you know, multiple times before, but it's like, how do you restart universes that have history? 70 years of history or whatever. Yeah. Right. How do you 
tell fresh stories with something that like you know uh, has happened before how do you like do ultimates without bringing in captain america and saying that there were super soldiers beforehand how do you do spider-man well spider-man can start fresh how do you do x-men without saying like oh there's like like there's been mutants this whole time how do you do the mcu uh, mutants starting fresh you can't do it starting fresh there has to be a thing how do you do the mcu mutants i think that that is i think that's the subtext of any conversation about about the x-men is like well how come we haven't seen mutants for the last 10 years of of marvel stuff right uh and i have my own opinions uh uh andrew do you got any opinions about like where's that line between legacy and like a, a fresh new start you would know? you want to see, uh, would, Andrew? Would you want to see them do, like, take the Inhumans um, origin and give that to the mutants or or something else like that? Um, I'm gonna start by saying I, I've never been a huge uh, uh, on the X X side of, of Marvel. Um, oh no! Oh, get out of here, man! I'm so sorry. Get out of here! So ah, Gil's disappearing. Gil is is disappearing. <laughs> <laughs> um, but but to just to tackle the the broader question of what you said of of um, what happens when you do a reboot is unfortunately you have basically these professionals who are themselves fans and they're like, well I've got I've got this new character I'm going to tell some of the old stories or I'm going to bring back some of these characters that haven't been back yet and then um, and and you see this a lot with the Superman reboot from from '86. Even even as they're they're making they're dialing back on the Silver Age uh, weirdness, they're still bringing back every single name in a sure. in a different context. Uh, and you see this with I think with Ultimate Spider-Man too. It's like well, let's tell the the couple of the same classic stories again. Um, I'm not going to be Spider-Man, but or I have, I have this big heavy thing I have yeah. to lift. Uh, yeah, when yeah. there's an opportunity to go in a whole new direction. And, you know, they do this whole thing where they introduce a giant monster green goblin, but you could create whole new villains that can become iconic in their own right. I mean, eventually that's what happens with Miles Morales, right? You create this character that becomes so popular. They're like, all right, time to integrate it back into the regular MCU. And it's the same thing that happens with Harley Quinn and Batman, right? They create this great villain that becomes so popular they got to bring her in. And even like some silly characters like Condiment King or whatever that is, you know, you bring him into the MCU as a reference to, you know, the other thing. Wait, if what? Just... Wait, 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 sorry. You said Condiment King to the MCU? Oh, sorry, into the DCU, sorry. Oh, okay. I was like, We're talking about what? so many different things. <laughs> I know, I know. Forgive me when I get confused. Um, <laughs> yeah, Condiment King gets brought into the regular DCU and yeah. it's a reference to the cartoon. Uh, but there's no reason that you know that uh, that Batman Year One or Earth One, the their version of the Ultimate Universe, why it has to tell any story having to do with the Riddler or the Joker or, or anything. If you're gonna do this reboot, why not really take it in a direction like the reference I want to make is Stan Lee creates the DCU. Oh. That, uh, that oh. series. They weren't great, but they were at least creative, and they were like, "Well, what would this? What would the Flash have been like if I created it? Let's do it. Let's." It's let's just, take it. it's those heroes in name only, though, for Stan Lee, right? Mm. Like, yeah. like it's just, oh, the Flash, 
he has speed. Does he have to be a he? No, it's a she. So it's like, it's just Flash and then with mock, uh, with uh, Hummingbird uh, DNA. That's what like, sure. that's what that uh, flat, the tangent Flash was. And it was like just the name only. So yeah. is that something you'd want from a reboot? Is just the name? I think, I kind of think it's a necessity for a reboot in certain ways. Um, like it's really fun in the MCU to be like, okay, well, of course the villain of the Avengers is going to be Loki because that's what happens in the comics when the Avengers get together, they fight Loki, and that is fan service and it's a reference to us and it gives it to us. And I think that's all well and good. But what if the villain of the Avengers had been an original character? Would, I... would that have been horrible? I think it would have been horrible. I think that that all of us who are fans are like, yeah, but why didn't you use Loki? But I think that at a base level, there's really not a reason why not. But there isn't a reason why. But, you have 70 years of uh, characters. You could pick, you can make something work. Andrew, sorry, you were going to say something? I guess, yeah, so, so um, yeah, so I guess I think of a successful reboot as, as kind of, it is a remix. It freshens it up. But it, it, it's remixing a lot of what came before. If, if you're really, as you say, a hero name only, then you should have just given it a new name and, and like really started fresh. Uh, yeah, you're so, right. Yeah. So, yeah. So, so yeah. that's that's what I, what I want from a successful reboot is, is there an, a cool remix. Um, and, and I guess what I've seen in, in a lot of these reboots is over time, the, the remix starts to sound more and more like the original. The uh, all the time. The, yeah. the the creators go back and say, "Well, I want to bring back this thing more, and I want to bring back this thing." And now it, you're like, "Well, now it does. It is the same thing. It is the original now." Yeah, and I mean, we, we don't need to go over this specifically right now because this is more of a the second episode on the Ultimate Marvel Universe. But basically, what happens after Ultimatum? Oh shit! Well, we got to talk about Ultimatum. What happens after Ultimatum is that they decide to not remix past events anymore and just go on their own thing. So Ultimate Marvel becomes like, it's like Shadowcat, Iceman, Johnny Storm, and Spider-Man living together and like they tell fresh new stories without remixing past events of the 616. And then like the mutants get their own reservation and like that's interesting but it's so out there that, like, it's not the X-Men that we know from 616, which is both good and bad. Because uh, I could, you could give up on it at any moment, and that's kind of what I did. You know what I mean? Well, I've got to gotta, gotta, uh, walk back my statement, though, because what you said about the, um, bringing back heroes who never lived with, with Spider-Man to live with Peter Parker and Aunt May, like, that was great. I love Oh, I, I love like that. that. I like that. What I'm trying to say is that, like, Ultimate Marvel after Ultimatum suddenly was like, we're just going to do our own thing. And like, we're finally going to, we're going to take off our chains from the 616 inspired events with Ultron or Loki or the Skrulls. We're going to get like, we're just going to do our own thing and maybe bring in characters. But there was a lot more original characters that they brought into mm. Ultimate Marvel in that second half that uh, uh, they were like, oh, let's just do our own thing. We're just going to like go our own way. And that's when they brought in Miles Morales, where he's not based off of anyone. He's right. his own original character. Well, and Glover, so, yeah, 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 yeah. There's that whole thing. But like, uh, but I don't want to talk too much about that. But like, did you guys? Okay. But I think let's talk. 
part of it. I mean, because the the I think the general consensus of why the ultimate universe eventually doesn't mean anything and does or I think it meant something at the time, but why it doesn't continue is that like you were saying, the MC the the Marvel Universe proper, the six one six universe takes every good idea from the ultimate comics like oh yeah. that's a really cool take on that let's bring that in they bring in ultimate nick fury they eventually bring in miles morales they bring in all these different things and yeah. uh and so it's so what are you going to an ultimate comic for if you can already get this in your regular continuity and it means something and it has scale and it has stakes um, mm. Why are you going to a new book for that? And also, by the time you get to 2008 and the Ultimate Comics are being mined for... By the way, um, both Sam Raimi and the the you know second uh, reboot of Spider-Man are both based on Ultimate Spider-Man, right? Yep. Um, yep. Those are really uh, like Ultimate Spider-Man takes. So the Ultimate Universe has been mined for the movies already at this point too and the mcu uh is already your kind of to digest way to bring in new readers way to bring in the universe why do you need a an expensive second line of comics that kind of goes off the rails to do this you have the comics and you have the movies that are essentially the ultimate universe at this point anyway why do you need an official ultimate universe Right, I think, exactly. I think that's what kills the, the Ultimate Universe. Uh, I mean, I think there's a couple of reasons why it kills it. And I think that it managed to stay afloat for a while, which was commendable. Um, but you're right. The It was being mined for ideas to go to the 616, to go to the MCU. And I think that it made both... It, we, we sacrificed Ultimate Marvel in a way to make the movies better and to make the 616 better. And I'm fine with that ultimate sacrifice. As much yeah. as I loved Ultimate Marvel, like there's no way that that line could have stayed fresh forever. Like it has to have a shelf life, right? Well, right. Eventually, as you see now, it's, it's 20 years old and it's built up its own like massive continuity. Yeah. Right, and so you can't hop on like new readers can't hop on to Ultimatum uh, or uh, to Ultimate without having to read, uh, you know. Nine years. So, like, Ultimatum came out in 2009, and uh, Ultimate Spider-Man first appeared 2000, and 2000 end of 2000. So, yeah. uh, we're dealing with eight to nine years of continuity that someone hopping onto Ultimate X-Men, by this time, by Ultimatum, Ultimate X-Men has already introduced Mr. Sinister, Apocalypse, they've already done Cable, they've done Bishop, they've done Onslaught with his armor, They've Wait, done everything within the the Ultimates. Yes and no. It became like Magneto and and Xavier merging, I think, and then but then they they have the armor, but it's not the ultimate. It's not the onslaught storyline where he ultimate becomes a villain. Onslaught creates Ultimate Heroes Reborn. <laughs> right. It yeah. It isn't like that. But my point being is like, at what point do you start like you have no more X Men to mine from? Now, like, you have to... I get why it happened that way. But Ultimatum... Did you guys read Ultimatum? I reread Ultimatum, like, a couple days ago. Did you guys... Did you guys read Ultimatum read at Ultimatum. all? Ultimatum. There is an incredibly... Um, 
well, not incredible, but it, there's a satirical take on it where fans just re-edited all the text. Um, it it's it, it doesn't completely hold up, but it's funny. And, okay. And at the same time, though, the art is still there, and, and you can see that the art is not great, and the story is the underlying story. The 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 rewritten text is still kind of referring to the original story, and so you get a sense that this is not good. Yeah, it's it's really bad. It's really I reread it, and it was really bad. It was just. It's horrible. Gil, what do were you, you going to say? I was going to say, do you think the original Ultimate Universe has the DNA of the Marvel Knights line of comics in it? Uh, sure. In what way? Oh, does, like, Well, I don't know. It's just I'm just thinking about these Marvel imprints that are meant to like kind of section off parts of the Marvel Universe to like different tones, right? Um, and like they very specifically were like, well, this is going to be a new, different take on the Punisher that lasts like five issues. It doesn't work at all, right? And eventually, that uh, becomes like a really classic run on a Daredevil that goes from Kevin Smith and then into Bendis, right? Right. Um, I think so I the know, Ultimate Universe is that. more. It's more akin to the Max, the Max imprint, where the Max yeah. imprint of Marvel is its own continuity, right? Is it? And yeah, yeah, because Max, Max Deadpool and Max Punisher, uh, they do their own thing, and it they are they specifically their own world, or are they just character, or are they just books that live essentially outside of continuity, sort of like what Jeff Johns gets to do at DC. Uh, the Max Max imprint as a whole is not interconnected with other Max titles, but the Max like Punisher does a whole thing where like Electra, Electra, and um. Mrs. Fisk are are in a relationship and then they kill Wilson Fisk together and like mm. there's like whole things like that. That's the Max Punisher line. So it's clearly out of continuity but and but I don't think it's in the same continuity as Max uh Deadpool and that sort of thing. So mm. I don't know. It's just a, a and, and them being able to do something adult is that's kind of yeah, what the and, line is. Well, I, I vaguely understood Marvel Knights was also kind of the darker and grown up thing, but but I think of Ultimate, I think of Ultimate Spider Man first, and he's he's not uh, adult. He's he's for the teens. They yeah. specifically took an adult who who was bogged down by a ton of continuity, and they're like, well, let's get him back to basics. What are the absolutely essential parts of this character? Um, and I th really think that was the mandate of the Ultimate Universe originally. And, you know, you put Mark Miller on that book and clearly it's not going to be like, what are the real essential parts of Iron Man? It's going to be that kind of put into the Mark Miller blender. Right. Um, I personally think the downfall of Ultimate at least, okay, it, it was in any ways was going to have a shelf life. But uh, it's Jeff Loeb hopping on to Ultimates 3, and then right as Ultimates 3 ends, Ultimatum starts, which is also written by Jeff Loeb. So, um, Jeff Loeb introduced in Ultimates 3, right off the bat, first panel, there's a sex tape of Tony Stark and Black Widow, who are both dead, or uh, uh, Black Widow's dead at that time. So, like, okay, uh, you have this. Then you, in the first issue, you do... You have this weird um, thing with Quicksilver and Scarlet Witch being incestuous, and Black Widow, or not Black... That was from the Mark Miller 
stuff. They were they were yeah, close, the he, but they weren't incestuous. Was seeds that, that was, those are seeds that Mark Miller was planting. Though I can see I can see why the editors let him do it. They yeah, but they went full they went full hog on that. Like okay. like, like the wasp together. Yeah, the wasp goes up to Captain America, being like, "You guys," uh, she's like. You're so, like, essentially, you're so old-fashioned, you don't in accept incest. And it's like, what? Wh yeah. What? Mm. What are you talking about? And, and like, it, it was this weird thing. And so, like, okay. And then, like, I don't know. Jeff Loeb fucks up on Ultimates 3 and then moves into Ultimatum where, like, the blob suddenly eats the wasp. Like, the blob was not shown to be cannibalistic at all and then suddenly he's just munching on the wasp and there's a lot of things wrong with ultimatum ultimatum's goal was just to kill 30 plus characters that all had potential just kill them off shock value that's what ultimatum was like i i, I don't know there's no defending ultimatum it just messes up everything like they kill cyclops they kill wolverine they kill uh beasts they kill uh, Dazzler. They kill, like, a bunch of X-Men that they didn't even show. They, like, they kill Sunspot and the whole Massachusetts Institute. They, like, kill Havoc and, like, they kill everybody. Off-panel. Um, spoilers. Off-panel. Yeah, uh, okay. For an 11 well, year. It's been 11 um, years. <laughs> I'm never going to read it. Fine. Yeah. Yeah. Look, I... I think the best thing to come out of the Ultimates is all of the all of the things that reference it. You know, like we were saying, the yeah. MCU is really uh, owes a lot to it. I think you know clearly um, everything DC has done in the last ten years has been you know owes a lot to it. I think, uh, and there were some really good things that came out of it. You know, the thing that I think probably has the most ultimate DNA in it to me is probably like Azarello's Wonder Woman. Kind of feels like a very ultimate kind of take. Is that when they update the gods to mm, non non human looks? Is that some that of them run? Look like human. Some of them yeah, look but like, like, like some. Uh, who was a bird? There was like a bird. Uh, yeah, there's one they, that's a bird, and and um, yeah. Neptune is a giant sea monster, stuff like yeah. that. It's all drawn by uh, Cliff Chang, I believe. And it's uh, you know, it's I, I just think there's a lot of ultimate kind of DNA in that you know, the all-star line, clearly. So you don't get an all-star Superman without the ultimate line. You certainly don't get any of these Earth-1 books without the ultimate line. I think right. that a lot of these sort of out-of-continuity, um, year-one-ish kind of things, I think that are, I think they're given a lot more freedom in the end to update and be like, oh, we're now in our modern world because Ultimate's, and the Ultimate Universe showed you're allowed to update and bring them into, like, our modern timeline. You know, you don't right. have to do Batman Year One that takes place in kind of a pseudo-50s, 40s, you know, noir world. You can do an ultimate Bat... Or you can do a an updated Batman where it's, you know, young Bruce Wayne on his iPad or whatever, if that's, if that's what floats your boat, you know? Right. Right. I think that the... the I mean, the Ultimate Marvel Im impact was huge. And I think that without Ultimate Marvel... Marvel couldn't have stayed afloat. Like, it updated so many things. And, like, it influenced, like, video games. There was Ultimate-related video games. 
that it was more affecting aesthetic. But we're talking um, uh, X Men Ultimate Alliance, or no, Marvel Ultimate Alliance, X Men Legends. You know those runs. They had like an Ultimate Avengers two animated movies. Uh, you know that they had, and so there was a lot that Ultimate Marvel did and affected still to this day. Uh, Andrew, you got you got any uh, thoughts about the impact of of uh, Ultimate Marvel? Um, I mean, before before that, w- there's always been refreshing. Uh, you know, there was a time where Superman in the seventies were like, "Let's make a TV reporter." Right. Um, <clears throat> so, but but Ultimate is is the first time I can think of where we're like, we're gonna refresh it into uh, a new universe. And so we're kind of actually running both at the same time simultaneously, the, uh, the existing one and the new one, where DC, uh, as far as I know, mostly serially reboots. And, and it's like this, this is the current main line. Now it's, this is the new main line. And there, as you say, until, until Ultimates proved that you could do it, and now DC has its Earth-1 uh, running parallel, uh, there wasn't, there wasn't um, a tradition of, of, of like splitting it up and doing both at the same time. Right. Yeah, you're right. DC always was like, well, we need to uh, update uh, Green Lantern so he's not, you know, didn't fight in World War II, uh, <laughs> I guess, you know, or the Korean War or whatever hell Jordan fought in. Uh, well, I guess we're going to have to reboot the whole universe for that. That's what they do. Right. They do a crisis. They're like, okay. Uh, right. Great. They got to do, do a zero hour so that. Uh, so that the JSA aren't 80 years old. <laughs> right. Uh, I, that, that, I think, is my biggest concern right now with the return of the JSA in all the comics. I really love that they are there. I love that they're coming back. Every time someone is drawing the, the JSA today, they're in their fucking 90s. And they yeah. look like they are decrepit. You said right. you, don't like, you don't generally like um, Frank quietly because of the texture of the characters. Yeah. Every single time that uh, God, what's what's Scott Snyder's um, oh, Greg Capullo? Every time Greg Capullo draws an old person, they are like a human liver spot. They just look so yeah, so grotesque the way he draws them. And it's like, yeah. well, okay, what if these heroes were perpetually in their fifties? Wouldn't that be more interesting than right? Uh, which is which is the post crisis version? The post crisis uh, uh, thing was that. The the Justice Society was stuck in an in a in a in limbo in yeah. Ragnarok or something, and then they yeah. came back. Uh, and with but a, then they also explained it away with powers too, right? Yeah, generally, yeah. So it was like, but sometimes they drew them old still. Yeah, uh, just if you're gonna do the JSA, if you're gonna keep them in the world, I think that you theoretically kind of have to do it the Marvel way and just say, like, oh, uh, they fought in a war a few years ago. You know, right. Like a generation back, no matter what. You know, in Marvel, there's never really historical markers, except for maybe Captain America in World War II. It's always right. like, oh, well, Spider-Man got his power vaguely a few years ago. Right. He's been Spider-Man for a few years. <laughs> Isn't that weird? I mean, I, I like it. I like it. But Marvel has a sliding timeline where it's like, oh, Punisher fought in the last most recent war, right? Like, yeah. Punisher's fought war. in Afghanistan. Like, mm-hmm. you, you use that sliding timeline. DC is like, oh, no, 
World War II. You know, uh, everybody uh, will make sense of the past 100 years. Okay. And I was like, oh. Uh, DC keep like wanting to make it like, like five years specifically. Yeah, yeah, that's what the big thing of the new fifty two was five years, and then you're like, yeah, yeah, but there are like five Robins. I don't know if you can shove Batman's world into five years. Like, you right? Can't, you can't really say Dick Grayson was well, was thirteen five years ago. Right. Right. You Especially know, maybe maybe if you said it was a ten year scale or a fifteen year scale, like maybe that mm-hmm. kind of works but it's it's really weird to be like it's specifically five years ago yeah andrew were you gonna say something um yeah a bunch of a bunch of thoughts about uh that dc timeline but uh, we're getting far from the original topic yeah but who cares it's it's fine at at this at this point in the episode it's like yeah we hit some tangents it's fine we've earned it all right all right well um My first thought is, is back to, you know, 616, uh, quote-unquote Marvel time, is um, in the 60s, Marvel was kind of going in real time, and it, it's gradually slowed down. Um, and, and people like to say, they, they, they've kind of retroactively built this theory that it's Franklin Richards' fault. Um, uh, with, but, it, I mean, like, exegetically, the, the writers just kind of wanted to slow things down or, or, or didn't want to acknowledge that, you know, by this point now, Fra- uh, Reed Richards is a great grandpa. So, so you you have these guys who who get older, and then like, well, we don't we don't want to get them too much older, and, and we slow time down. But um, whereas DC DC has a a different feel about it. The, the, on, on some level, yeah, everything happened. But on the other hand, I don't I don't feel like you want to the the thing is in dc uh robin gets older but batman does not get older right and superman does not really get older yeah. until recently when he had a kid. I mean, they're both vaguely somewhere between 35 and 40 i would say right so batman can still well, yeah, but, you know be operating for 15 years right yeah what were you saying Andrew? but, but the, 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 i didn't see that kind of aging of the main characters in DC the way that you see it in Marvel, or at least of the classic 60s Marvel. Um, and yeah. then actually, to, to think about that, I don't think that we saw that much aging with Spider Ultimate Spider-Man. Um, he was kind of still 16 the whole way through. Was yeah. he always 16 the whole time? Feels like. You well, never graduated high school in the Ultimate certainly Universe? Like, I don't, I don't remember him thinking, like, I gotta, I gotta apply to colleges. Like, I don't feel that he never, like, <laughs> On uh, thinking about his next step, the way an eighteen-year-old is, so that feels like yeah. like something that Bendis would have had fun with if he had uh, allowed that to go on. It yeah. seems weird to not that I have anything against Miles Morales as a character. It seems weird to like at some point be like, all right, I'm just going to create a new character. I don't have any more stories to tell. When like you know, growing up really allows for a ton of stories if you if you want to do it. Yeah, mm. I think they probably just didn't want. Peter to grow up in Ultimate because he grew up already in the 616. In the 616. Like, well, you can you take know, him to 18. 18 isn't that crazy. You can take him to college. College right. stories are different than high school stories. I don't I don't know whether he wanted college. You know what I mean? Yeah. College is different than high school, right? Now you're dealing yeah. with drugs, drug, sex, and alcohol. <laughs> you know? That's like more, more so. <laughs> no, no, no. Like, I'm saying like yeah, anyway, whatever. The point being is, 
is that uh, uh, I think then you have an absence of like you always have to have Spider-Man in high school in some comic. Like you have to tell those high school Spider-Man stories for some reason. And I think what what's cool is I hope the MCU does not shoot themselves in the foot by bringing Miles in too early. Because right. essentially what you have is as Tom Holland grows up, you can tell college-aged Spider-Man stories. You can tell, like, a 30-year-old Spider-Man story, like, when Tom Holland gets to that age, and then introduce Miles to fill that high school Spider-Man story void, you know? It depends like, what the you decides to do if at some point they're like, well, we really want to tell iconic MC, you know, Marvel stories. We don't want to get bogged down in the Falcon as Captain America, which... I mean, I get they're mining all that stuff for stories right now, but you know, even in comics, the the reason you have all these reboots all the time is because the fandom can't hold on to the idea of Kyle Rayner as Green Lantern all the time. You got to do uh, a rebirth because the iconic version of that character is going to be Hal Jordan um, or whatever. Like, there's going to be essentials. So there's going to be the the version of Green Lantern you put on a lunchbox or the version of Spider Man you put on a lunchbox, right? Yeah, um, and I know the. I don't know. It's it's so weird to me because I think that things should change in that way. Like in my real heart of hearts, you know, I know that like when I was a kid, you know, I saw you know Hook Hand Aquaman as like, wow, this is incredible. This is such an iconic look for this character, um, and all it takes is a little bit of like explaining, and then eventually in all the media versions of Aquaman. The first thing you have to do is get rid of his hand. That's what happens in Justice League, and it happens in, in I think, another thing too. And you make like the biggest trauma kind of the iconic story that character has to go through, like Jason Todd dying or any of these things. And I like that as a way to make these characters feel real. But I get how a corporation would be like, yeah, in ten years when, when you know, um, when. Thor, what's his face, decides to not be Thor anymore. You don't want to have an MCU that is all characters who are not the original characters. I think at a certain point they will with the MCU. I think that's what they're doing. They're building up like Kamala Khan. They're building yeah. them up to be name recon like name recognition, right? So I, I so. think I think that that's what they're building towards. And so I think that like the the Marvel Cinematic Universe is is able to do something that the comics can't, and that is be affected by real time. Like it's both its strength, its strength and its weakness, because it's it, it is a weakness. It can be if they don't do it right. But what you have to do is not blow your load and say there's a hundred Marvel characters all existing right now. It's like no, no, no. You do right. twenty at a time. You do twenty at a time, and you give them all ten year spans, and boom, suddenly you're lasting a hundred years. You know what I mean? Like. Uh, I, I hope you're right. I hope that, like, that you know, you you do eventually the Fantastic Four X Men era of the MCU, um, and like the Avengers of that time are you know going to be Jane Foster and and Captain Marvel and whatever. I I, hope I think so. You're right. Yeah, I think so. Now, as a po uh, as as uh, bringing up, who are we? What was I think? Oh, Hal Jordan. Weird thing about Hal Jordan coming back is that. Up until that point, the modern age of comic book readers were were looking at like 
or at least the mainstream audience, Jon Stewart was Green Lantern in Justice League and made so much more of an impact on the mainstream audience than Hal Jordan. Like, they should have just let Jon Stewart be Green Lantern from that moment forward. But this like, is the thing we were talking about. Remember last week when I was on the show or the week before when yeah. we were talking about the, the Jeff Johnsification of comics? Right. Silver right. Age is the only age. Silver, yeah, you got to bring the Silver Age into today and bring back Silver Age stories and make them gory, and, th- and that's comics, right? Um, and I think that's that's like a super Jeff Johnsy thing. And I think that the reason I find myself so tied to '90s DC is because there was an an a feeling, an air of um, of progress that was really. Yeah. You know, people pay lip service to it now, but the big thing about DC is legacy. And the only time that really existed in DC Comics was the 90s. It really didn't, yeah. doesn't exist before that or after that. The only time it really exists is when Connor Hawk is Green Arrow, when, uh, when Wally West really is the Flash. And they didn't, it wasn't... It wasn't a temporary thing. It wasn't, this is going to get reversed. This It wasn't, this could be undone at any minute. It was Wally West is the Flash. And there were multiple runs by different writers on Wally West is the Flash. It lasted a full 10, 11 years, right? Uh, Jason Todd is dead. Tim Drake is the new Robin. Yeah. Uh, you know, Al Jordan is gone and they keep trying to figure out another thing to do with him that doesn't piss off the old Hal Jordan fans, the old members of heat remember those remember heat hell's emerald hell's emerald attack team oh my god i don't remember heat okay that's the reason they kept it they they were super anti-cal yeah i think because i thought kyle rayner was like too woke or whatever that it was like they were like oh you guys just want to get rid of hal jordan you ruined comics It was like really the the original toxic fandom that I can remember. Oh, okay, uh, okay, I get it now. Uh, Kyle Rayner, um, Kyle Rayner was the Green Lantern that I grew up with, but yeah. then John Stewart was in Justice League, and I loved I loved him. There shouldn't there shouldn't have been any reason to bring back uh, Barry or Hal. Oliver no Queen, all, Oliver Queen, I I believe in. Right. The Oliver Queen, I like. Jeff Jones woke up one, one night and he's like, the DCU, the Justice League should really be Barry and Hal. And so he brought them back. And it felt like the, it's why Wally West is still in limbo today. And Scott Snyder is, is you know, twisting himself into pretzels trying to make Wally West matter right now in, yeah. um, in death metal, which I appreciate. But I don't know where Wally's place in the DCU is after Death Metal, especially no. because there's Wa- there's Wallace West, um, because they brought oh, yeah, black yeah. black Wally West into DC in order to bring Wally West into the New Fifty Two, and then they said he's a separate character than Wally and then West. They made him a separate character. Yeah. So. Uh, the new issue of Speed Metal. I know, I know the connect. Uh, sorry, what was that? You guys I I there? I can hear you fine. You're fine on my end. Yeah. Oh, okay, cool. Because I know that my my connection yeah, is unstable. Drop for a moment. 
Yeah, okay, cool. I know that my connection is unstable, so sorry, guys. Um, uh, what was I saying? Oh, the new issue of Speed Metal. No, we, we can hear you fine. Okay, cool. The new issue of Speed Metal, um, which is the, the little one-shot of Death Metal, um, uh, Wally brings back the rest of his the people who have disappeared. Jesse Quick, uh, uh, Max Mercury, Wally's family. Like, they've all been brought back. So they're going to do something with him. Well, all of that. Yeah. Well, all of that has happened now in Josh Williamson's run or Josh, whatever his name is. Um, in his last arc of the flash, he brought back Max and Jesse and impulse was already brought back in young yeah. justice. And all of that happens inside the uh, speed force. So and the whole climax, this entire wall of speedsters, and they're all there, and it includes uh, Impulse and Jay and Iris and uh, and Avery and and Wallace and uh, and Wally and Max and Jesse, and so everyone is kind of there, and so like the Flash family is this like twelve to eighteen person group, and and Jay Garrick is there, and it's this whole giant thing, so it's. I don't know what to say about it. I, I'm glad that those characters are back. I love those characters. But the point I was really making was exactly what we were saying before, is that, you know, there was a 10-year span between Crisis and, let's say, Rebirth, when yeah. the watchword of the DCU was really progress. And it felt like, like oh, this, this stuff does progress. You know, Robin becomes Nightwing. Eventually, these characters grow up. Essentially, eventually, there's a replacement character. It felt like, you know, the Superboy, the reign of the Superman, Superboy, Conel, that eventually maybe he could become Superman one day. That there were all these stories. Remember JLA 1 million? The reason yeah. that that has any impact at all is because you're sitting in the current DC continuity. You're seeing, okay, yeah, Green, Lan Green Arrow does have a son. Kyle Rayner might not be a Green Lantern in 20 years. Maybe it's going to be the next person. You know, you have, uh, do you remember uh, Batman Beyond? They did the Justice League Unlimited. Yeah. And it was I think that that stuff had impact because of what was happening in the comics. I think today, if you did anything like that, of like the child of Batman, I think for me, I think I feel that way about Damien and about even John Kent and stuff like that is that it yeah. all feels kind of temporary to me. And I don't mm -hmm. know if it's just because I didn't grow up. I'm not a teenager right now. I'm not growing up with those characters, but it feels like, Batman is never going to not be Batman. Like the Nightwing is never going to really become Batman because, and I think the thing that solidified that in my mind was rebirth Green Lantern and rebirth Flash. Like if, if the only way those characters are going to be characters is if it's the silver age version of them, then you, there's no real such thing as progression. Right. Do you feel Marvel has that? Well, I want to, I want to open it up to Andrew. Uh, how do you feel about that whole thing? Because now we're comparing Marvel to DC and how they do their legacy, how they do their timelines and everything. Like, is there growth in comics? Like, can there be? Uh, there's never permanent growth, I, I don't think, in, in superhero comics, uh, or at least in the mainstream lines. Um, I actually wanted to go back and say, like, we were talking about Invincible for a little bit. Invincible, yeah. because it's creator-owned and, and the... Uh, 
the creator can just say, yeah, I want to tie this up. He can say like, okay, um, Mark Grayson has a kid. Mark Grayson's growing up. Mark Grayson uh, kind of wraps this thing up. And and, uh, and and there is a point where he says, I've told all the stories I want to tell and I want to wrap this up and age everyone up and give everyone a happy ending. Yeah. Uh, you don't feel that way with DC because DC never wants to say, we, we want to stop selling Batman comics now. Yeah, so, right. So in that sense, like... Um, or the Batman mantle can get put to another character, right? They, they just which they did with Nightwing, yeah. but it didn't seem permanent. Yeah, yeah. not only Nightwing, no. but also with with Terry McGinnis, and they had yeah. a whole successful TV series where Terry yeah. McGinnis was Batman, and it changes the perception of what those things are. And Terry McGinnis, by the way, is also another Spider-Man, um, yeah, you know, I, kind of archetype character too, yeah. right? Um, yeah, no, I agree with you. I think I think right now that Marvel is doing a better job of legacy than DC has done. I think that, you know, you, you look at those young champions characters and they're yeah. all, they're all really great characters. Um, and they all really feel like they have legacy. I think if you, you know, I remembered, you know, I think like the new mutants characters have all come into their own. And anytime you read new mutants, you're like, okay, this, this book has a ton of history behind it. You know, yeah. I think that Hickman is bringing uh, in, all those great Generation X characters are all really part of the Krakoa run. The thing I was going to mention that Andrew had brought up um, with independent creator-owned books is Savage Dragon is the only book I can think of that kind of ages in real time, right? Oh, because okay. I haven't caught up with that. Like, so, so he really does get older. He gets older. The current character, the current Savage Dragon is the son of the original Savage Dragon. Oh, wow. And he's a full-on adult. Like okay. you, you know, if you were reading Savage Dragon for the last twenty years, you saw that character as a teenager and as a young adult, and now as the official Savage Dragon. Well, that's really cool. I didn't know that. Yeah, that is cool. Yeah. Um, that that brings me back to the when I was a kid and I read comic strips in the in the uh, in the yeah, newspaper. Uh, and a lot of those characters don't age, but there are certain comics where they age, and I'm trying to remember. What comics age? There are Sorry? some, yeah, like, like Doomsbury. Doomsbury ages. Doomsbury. Those guys, the the main characters, started off in college together. They were roommates in a big house, and they've aged basically in real time. They uh they graduated college. They got jobs. They uh they got married. They had kids. They have like grandkids. Doomsbury is is really the this amazing continuity for a comic yeah. story, a, a daily newspaper comic strip. I think uh, for better or for worse, I think uh, was a comic yeah. strip that like had people age and have kids and whatnot. And uh, it's so funny. Didn't I and Dagwood also, didn't they kind of age? No, I, I don't Blondie think so. And Dagwood, I feel like they did. I feel like, really? like their kids are eventually grownups. Well, yeah, maybe. I mean, yeah. there's a certain point where like in any fiction where a child ages real fast, right? So you have, like, yeah. Dick Grayson, or you have, like... I mean, you have so many child characters that get hyper-aged, right? I I heard that um, Marv Wolfman on Twitter recently was, like, someone pointed out that in the next 10 years, Robin or Dick Grayson will have been Nightwing longer than he, would have, than he was Robin. Like, that's going to come in the next 10 years is that he was Nightwing longer than he was Robin. Which I mean, that makes sense. Kind of crazy. 
Yeah. It's kind of great. I love it. But it's it, it speaks to that thing we were talking about, about legacy and progression, right? So because DC fans have accepted the idea that Nightwing's, that Dick Grayson's alter ego is Nightwing, that now that can be the iconic version of him, right? But right. If, if tomorrow Jeff Johns was like, uh, the iconic version of Robin is Dick Grayson. Clearly, it has to be Dick Grayson. Yeah. Then the other four Robins would be gone, you know? I, I agree well, with that, except yeah. Jeff Johns loves the Silver Age, and Silver Age Dick is... Is Nightwing, you're right. Nightwing, right? You're right. Well, that's Bronze Age, I think. It's, it's, it is Bronze Age. You're oh, right. is it? Okay. I think, I think to get to get on the, the thing about progression... Um, we can see maybe probably in 20 years, there'll probably be a, a couple more Robins. I don't know that Nightwing will be a title passed down. I feel like Dick Grayson's kind of parked there in Nightwing yeah, forever. I, yeah, I don't know. Uh, the, the, in the recent in recent years of Nightwing, there has now been like a team of Nightwings in Bloodhaven. Good Lord, mm-hmm. I need to catch up. Yeah, yeah. I mean, but it's, they're sort of like amateur vigilantes that... Okay. Um, yeah, that that Dick Grayson takes under his wing or like tries to keep safe. Yeah. Um, but I, yeah, I think one of the things that I think got me excited in teen in Teen Heroes when I was a kid, and really being into like Young Justice and Teen Titans and 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 Generation X and all of those comics was the idea of the of these characters growing up, and I think that the knowledge that these characters really can't grow up in comics and no one's going to let them do that because you can't smash the timeline that for that close together. It makes me less interested in the characters. I want to see, um, you know, what Tim Drake does after college. I want to see him take on a Nightwing type role or take on a more red Robin, like kingdom come inspired suit. Like he had for a little bit. Um, Yeah, you know, I, uh, I would. Sorry. Uh, uh, speaking of speaking of Tim Drake, it's very interesting what happened with Tim Drake because when Damien got introduced, Tim Drake became Red Robin. Became Red Robin, yeah. He became Red Robin, but then when New Fifty Two happened, Damien is Robin. Tim Drake was never Robin. He was Red Robin only. Red only. Robin. Yep. Yeah. And then later, Tim Drake disappears. No, he doesn't disappear. Uh, either way, Tim Drake comes back as Red Robin. And so then... In, um, in Detective Comics, in James yeah. Tynan's Detective yeah. Comics, he kind of reincorporates D- uh, Tim back into continuity. He's yeah. Red Robin. He really... Um, you know, Tynan is very much a Tim Drake fan. So he really yeah. like gave him stuff to do, made him his own character. Uh, they did sort of the death of uh, the death of Tim Drake, which was all part of the Mister Oz storyline. And yeah. then when Bendis comes on and brings back Young Justice, he uh, lets Tim Drake be Robin and then take on a new superhero identity of Drake. Drake. Yeah, real dumb, uh, super dumb, but ugly brown costume. And yeah, and I think they listened to fans and were like, "No, that's not okay." And recently in the comics, Damien has quit being Robin, yeah. essentially because of what's what's going on in Teen Titans. And so Tim Drake has the title of Robin again. And Damien is now, I think, my, my theory is he's clown killer 
or whatever that character is in the Batman run. I've, I've um, heard. I've heard that he's specifically not. Is oh really? It's I've it's heard, some original character. I've heard that Tom King said that it's not Damien. He looks just like Damien, like he's a kid with a with a helmet on. Look, maybe King is lying. The, yeah, the, you know, maybe he's trying I, to misdirect. That's all yeah. possible. But he did specifically say no, it's not Damien. So I don't know. All right, we'll see. Maybe we'll not. see how that works. Um, all at this, what point? Uh, all of this reminds me of um, uh, there's a classic Tick storyline where um, it turns out that there's actually another superhero called the Tick, and yes. they're gonna have a, a battle for the name. Right. Oh, that's funny. I I never I I, I watched the '90s Tick cartoon, but I never yeah, like got into the comics. Right the cartoon. Oh, did they? Yeah. Oh, okay, I don't remember much about it. What What's funny is that I was I thinking think about. Uh, Andrew, was it a comic or a, uh, the cartoon that they did that? I actually never saw the car cartoon. Uh, no, this was oh. a comic. The uh, this this other guy who is is a um, similar in power set, uh, but if anything, uh, less sane than the Tick, and yeah, he's uh, more mean, right? And and definitely more mean. Um, but he's also kind of more Batman-y because he's definitely way richer. Um, oh, okay. He challenges. You know, Arctic to uh, to a fight for the name and and some kind of legal or underground superhero justice legal system is going to award the name to whoever wins. Uh, yeah, that's funny. But, but uh, like all the stuff about like you, there actually can only be one Robin, so they kind of take turns like holding the seat down. Uh, yes. Yeah. Well, I feel like Jason Todd is very comfortably Red Hood now. Like, yeah. they found a place for living for the live Jason Todd where I don't think that's ever going to change. I think, like, Jason Todd is Red Robin. Or not Red Robin. Jason Todd is Red Hood. Red Hood. And he's comfortably Red Hood. Nightwing is... Uh, Dick Grayson is comfortably Nightwing. Right? I think this new Gotham Knights video game is going to solidify the popular conception of where all of these Batman allies are for the next 10 to 20 years. I think that that book or that that game is going to be super popular it looks really really good i think that uh solidify it's going to solidify um jason as red hood i think it's going to solidify jason as robin the fact that tim isn't in there i think that's going to no uh that. it's supposed to be tim that that's not supposed to be damien yeah it's supposed to be tim really it looks like damien but it's 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 tim well then i am shocked because I because I saw the hood, the hoodie hood. Yeah, uh, I really thought that they were, and the the costume looks so terrible. It looks very, uh, very Damien with like yeah, flaps, the skirts. Yeah, and but isn't isn't Damien like canonically ten? He was at least when he was introduced. He was ten. Yeah, yeah but he's I, older I now. Aged up. Okay. Well, like he he's he's now? old enough to date now. All right. He's yeah. All right. I I, I just see him. Uh, I don't really follow the bat comics that much either. I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> it's when, fine. That's fine. When, when Get on uh, the X John, screen, man. Yeah, John the X Men stuff as, is. But when when John Kent came back uh, and he's older now, and, and Damien's like, "What the how the fuck are you five years older than me now?" Yeah, um, you know. So so I thought Damien was still like hell young. Uh, well, in I, the end of thirteen range. Yeah, okay. I would say that. And John yeah, Kent and, is like eighteen because he has to be able to like. But, 
like date around the legion right like because he's on mm. legion of superheroes now so that's yeah. what i figure but when i see the, in the video game that robin is 18 or so he's not he's not 12 or 10 it looks pretty young it look i would say he's probably 15 mm. 16 in that okay. game he's because he's shorter he's shorter in stature than the other characters so mm. i would say probably yeah. 15 16 but yeah no i i guess i'm wrong but i thought that it was going to solidify um, Damien as Robin, and that it was gonna, you know, lock into place uh, Tim Drake being sort of the odd man out of the yeah. Robins. And I'm really happy to hear that it's Tim. Where did you hear that it was Tim? Uh, uh, well, two things. One is the logo is Tim Drake's uh, '90s logo. That was no? my first thing. Wait, no, but how do you know? No, 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 no. There is an interview with uh, uh, somebody, one of the creators, that okay. says Tim Drake. Right. Yeah, yeah. Then, but that was my first red flag, is what I'm saying. Then I might buy this game. That might that might have uh, put me over the edge into buying this game, and I will play it entirely as Tim Drake. It will become the Tim Drake game, and whenever yeah. I un unlock the classic Tim Drake costume, you will you will never see me again because I will only be playing uh, Tim Drake in the Chuck Dixon costume, <laughs> fighting around. Gotham There's City. probably an updated version, and not the no. baggy sleeve version, right? Or well, that's the um, what they do with him now is they make the Robin colors kind of armor over like a black yeah. tunic, which I think is kind of stupid. It just adds a bunch of straps and weird shit. Yeah, I don't understand it, but you know, I I love superhero costumes that are very very simple and sleek. I don't. I one of the things I hated about Damien's costume is all the extra buckles and the hood and the skirts and like it has extra piping on all the outsides like yeah. that's why I, I didn't like the the flash redesign in the new 52 with all the extra yellow piping all around his body yeah. like they put pipe on everyone in the new 52 yeah superman had armor like why does superman armor. need armor i don't know um I don't just to just to tell you gil to to to, to further convince you so uh, I looked it up again. So comicbook.com has an interview with uh, with Reed. I do not trust uh, comicbook.com specifically. No, uh, creative director Patrick Redding uh, yeah. was asked why Drake was the one to make the cut. So he says, and, and he quotes, uh, so Tim Drake was our Robin choice right from the start. And for reasons that I'm not going to get into yet, but it does tie into the broader arc of the story. And we'll talk about that a little bit later. So... Uh, Tim was chosen specifically for the story. So it Great. makes me think that Damien's getting phased out. Like it, it, in the comics, especially like, I think that there, there might be an editorial mandate that might be moving Tim Drake back into that Robin role. Well, that was, that's the worry that I had for Tim. I think that's the same conversation because that's what I was feeling is that, that, that Tim was being phased out. But if you're yeah. saying that Damien is being sort of phased out, it seems that way with the comics and with this game. Well, it seems to me like they're gearing up for a big story with Damien. If, if he's quitting Robin and everything in Teen Titans is really about, like, it's really his version of the Tower of Babel story. If you, I know you were a fan of that story in Justice League. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it's, it's the Teen Titans don't trust Damien anymore. He has done some really fucked up things. He created, like, a black site prison where he was holding all these supervillains and yeah. kind of. And for a 10-year-old, that's kind of a lot of shit, right? You're right. And in, uh, in the Batman Beyond comic, um, he's appeared in, and uh, he's sort of taken on the League of Shadows as its leader. Um, so there's like a lot of stuff going on with Damien. I, 
my hope is eventually that you can have all four Robins or five Robins plus Batgirl um, kind of exist in the same world. I don't want anyone's favorite character to be phased out theoretically, but right. you know, if, if it comes down to the two of them, I'm a Tim Drake guy all the way. I, I'm with it, you there. It becomes yeah. with do or die time, then yes, I'm going to put my vote behind Tim Drake and I'm going to call the 1-900 I'm number. I'm going to call the 1-900 number and let them <laughs> kill, uh, kill Damien or whatever. Yeah. Um, as we wrap this episode up, um, uh, I don't know if you guys have any uh, closing thoughts about the impact of the Ultimate Marvel Universe of the way... I, I, I don't know whether you can extrapolate Ultimate Marvel to now because it's so far. But the Ultimate Marvel Universe... Uh, in the end, got destroyed with Secret Wars and Battle World. But then they did show uh, a quick glimpse that the Ultimate Marvel Universe still exists. Uh, and it's re been rebooted in Spider-Man 2. If you guys have read Spider-Man 2. Um, that, that I've been reading, uh, actually I've been catching up on, on uh, what is it, Venom. Um, and, and uh, Absolute Carnage. And so, you know, the maker who came out of the Ultimate Universe. Um, yeah. Uh, he, I mean, like, there are hints that, that um, 1610 is, is not dead, dead. Yeah. Yeah. Um, um, six, the 1610, I think, got rebooted at the end of Spider-Man 2. It shows an ultimate version of Ironheart. And it shows that Hank, mm. uh, Hank, Hank Pym is, is, uh, uh, still alive and they have like an ultimate uh, kind of lineup behind her so uh, there is an ultimate universe out there whether they'll ever go back to it whether or not I, I don't know um, do we need an ultimate universe I mean it might be cool like 10 years down the line you do like an ultimate Marvel sequel where again you're using it to test out new ideas maybe I you would know? love to see like uh, you know, like you were saying, it still exists somewhere out there in the world. I would think in 10 years, you're going to see like Ultimate Invasion or something where, you know, whoever got left behind in the Ultimate Universe tries to invade the 616 or something, right? Or yeah. or they will at some point try to do a, a similar thing to Ultimate. They'll do another yeah. Heroes Reborn, another Ultimate Universe, another Earth One slash all-star you know i think that these are the, the cyclical things that eventually all of these things come around one of the nice things you know i i love seeing a ton of year ones on my shelf i love having that um but i in my own personal headcanon i put it all into one one lifetime you know even if so for me you know this um ultimate spider-man acts as essentially acts as spider-man year one and I put it to me on the shelf. It's right next to Daredevil Yellow, which is the Daredevil Year One to me, yeah. or the Daredevil Man Without Fear, the um, the the classic Year One story that Miller and uh, Romita Jr. do. You know, I think that those kind of can stand together. And to me, like that, in my own head headcanon, that's one continuity. So I don't mm -hmm. worry about this existed in this universe or that universe. If I worry about knowing where every character is in a multiverse you know, I'll drive myself fucking crazy. I mean, that's me. Though, I was. Gil. I feel like that's a stab confused. at me, Gil. <laughs> <laughs> I actually was super confused because uh, Hickman in particular has done runs on Ultimate Fantastic Four and, and or at least uh, uh, in, in the Ultimate Galactus stuff that involves the Ultimate Fantastic Four. And then he went to 616 Fantastic Four and I was like, 
well, which one was he writing that I'm, I'm thinking of? Um, yeah. Like, yeah. I, I used to get, I used to think um, that whole maker stuff was in 616. And it's very, it is confusing. I can see, I can see reasons to cut it if it's, if they're not selling that well. Um, and then, yeah, in, in 10, 20 years, uh, you, you build up a lot of cruft. You want to streamline things again. You, you might want to reboot or, or, uh, or, you know, split off. So. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I think that Ultimate Marvel was the best example of a testing ground and an alternate universe. And like the impact that it had can't be stated. Like it continues to impact it. But the MCU now is kind of like Ultimate Marvel 616 in a way. Like it's taught us. It taught us that, like, we can accept alternate timelines as its own thing. Like, if you're a Marvel comic fan, you know that the Marvel movies are different. And yeah. they're going to be different. You need to accept them as different continuities. And it's very similar to the way that, like, Ultimate Marvel was, you know? Oh, I want to I want to state my pet theory while I'm here. Um, oh, yeah. So the MCU, uh, clearly, for a lot of different ways, you can say it came out of the Ultimate Universe. And what we hear now about uh, the characters coming down the line for phases five and six, it sounds like the MCU of phases five, six, and seven will be uh, six one six Ultimates. The uh, who are these characters? Oh, uh, Blue, Blue Marvel, Marvel and the, yeah, um, that that lineup with the, the that's coming the, in the MCU. All right, I feel like it is. I feel like it is based on like wow, the, these specific characters that they're introducing are are straight out of the 616 Ultimates, so... Yeah. That's my pet theory. Uh, that works if Marvel decides to go, like, uh, really diversify with, like, the cosmic science shit, which they may be saving mm -hmm. for Fantastic Four, you know? Because they still haven't introduced a Fantastic mm -hmm. Four yet, yeah. so, like, cosmic science is a genre or a subgenre of Marvel that, like, the Ultimates was with Galactus and Blue mm -hmm. Marvel and, like, those mm -hmm. people... But, like, it's possible. I don't know where Marvel's Cinematic Universe is going. But, like, they definitely are leaning into diversifying, right? Mm -hmm. If they're diversifying. Like the, the next thing that they've set up is Secret Invasion. I think that the scrolls are the next big thing, which means that eventually you have to um, do a bigger sort of version of the Kree scroll story, bigger than what they did in Captain Marvel. I do think that once you're out there in that universe, I think it makes sense for the Fantastic Four to exist at that point, you know? So I think that yeah. it really makes sense. Mm. My big question mark for the MCU is how to bring in the X-Men and what, what the existence of the X-Men affects in the larger MCU. The Fantastic Four makes total sense to me. It, like, fits right into where the MCU is, like, right now. So it's yeah. how, do you, how do you make them relevant and make them, like, the central characters uh, yeah. of the movies and because the fantastic four are that i think that what it's gearing up to is dr doom galactus and i totally get what you mean by galactus being kind of um the same mo as thanos but i think that they can figure out a take i think that they figured out a take on thanos that was unique from the comics yeah, you know, it certainly isn't just my lady death or whatever. So, um, <laughs> Man, I, he was little... he was simping hard, dude. He was simping hard. <laughs> I think I definitely think they'll figure out a take on Galactus that is really unique, and it's such a big story 
that that really makes sense as the next version of Infinity War Endgame. You know, yeah. If that's what yeah. they're gearing up towards, you know, three phases down the line. We're still trying to see what phase four is going to look like. It got pushed back a year. Let's see what happens. You know, Shang-Chi is finally going to pay off the Ten Rings. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, um, uh, Doctor Strange 2 uh, and WandaVision are going to, like, bring in kind of the magic multiverse, you know, world of the of the marvel universe uh falcon and and winter soldier are going to carry the torch of the espionage side of yeah things. so yeah. what else is what else is there we have captain marvel 2 we have she hulk three she hulk uh, uh yeah. miss marvel black panther 2 who knows what black panther 2 is wait is miss marvel announced yeah as a disney plus show definitely now yeah they they have a i think they have a writer lined up live action or animated they have directors too lined up uh, live action. They have um, they have some Pakistani directors, uh, which is awesome. Like they, uh, I I don't know that this is a whole another thing. But I was watch I'm watching Nora from Queens, which is Aquafina's comedy show, and the amount of Asian talent they have in that show is amazing. And it's like Asian talent that doesn't get the chance to like do other things and like like Simu Liu. Simu Liu is Shang-Chi, right? Is that his name? Simu? Yep. yep, yep. Uh, yeah. Uh, he's he's in an episode, and he's, like, shirtless. And the guy has a... He, he's, like, meant to be a Marvel hero. So the fact that he's Shang-Chi is, like, come on, man. How come how come it take it's taken this long for these guys to get their breaks? You know what I mean? Jamie Chung in Lovecraft Country, in one episode is like Emmy, like she does an Emmy award winning performance that I've never seen Jamie Chung do before at all. It's because they're not like, anyway, that's a, that's a I whole that's separate fantastic. thing. I think that's so wonderful. Yeah. I, I just think that that's absolutely great. I, I think I yeah. totally get what you mean. Um, you know, that Asian characters and Asian creators uh, definitely have been like shoved into the world of like, yeah, I mean, that's for martial arts stuff. And you yeah. want to get to the point where, there can be an Asian Captain America and an Asian Superman and Asian everything else. And it doesn't, and it doesn't feel like a big deal. And yeah. those things, by the way, not just stepping into the role, but bringing the culture with them in a way that like educates and honors and doesn't feel like tokenism and feels yeah. like, Hey, look, you know, I am, I grew up in this culture. And so I take bringing this stuff with me. Yeah. Th that's what like Kamala Khan is going to, is going to do that. And like, the the diver diversifying of Marvel across genres, but also across platforms and yeah. also across races, like they're doing everything right. And DC, ah, oh man, get up off its feet. Still trying to get off. Uh, they're, yeah, they're spending seventy million dollars trying to put out a second cut of a thing that didn't work the first time. Right, <laughs> right. DC has screwed themselves. Uh, for at least 20 years. 20 years of of uh, just not mattering, you know? No, I, so, think, I think if you if they really put their, their heads to it, like, they could dig themselves under five years. Like, it's, it's not a 20-year hole. I don't know. Maybe, five, maybe, but when, like... When I look at... When I think about the comics, maybe I added another five years on that. Like, all, all the stuff that's happening in the comics, you'd have 10 years to really... Yeah, I think they're yeah. really putting their eggs into Flashpoint to um to clean all that stuff up yeah but, it's also but they insane could... to like bring in 
essentially a crisis style uh, reboot into the movies three movies in. <laughs> right. But right. fine, whatever. Look, they've already they already have my money. What the hell do I care? I'm going to see I'm going to see those movies regardless, but god damn. Like like okay, just just I'm I'm just ending my thoughts of, on this like Marvel has merchandise. If you go to the toy store at Target, if you go to the kids section of backpacks and t-shirts, nobody gives a fuck about DC. Like these kids growing up nowadays, they're going to age up and continue to read comics and watch movies and not give a fuck about DC. And that's Boy, sad. That's yeah. sad. Well, I don't know what's happened right now with the uh, the publisher firing and the turnover and, and the layoffs there, but DC has been putting a lot of effort into the young young adult graphic novels. The Scholastic published almost like or or competitor to Scholastic those are graphic novels. And then yeah. as adults, we're not really seeing that, but it, it's yeah. I think it's making an impact, and, and it's it's uh it's it's actually pretty good stuff. I, I've I've seen uh, marketing for it, so like yeah. Until I have a kid that does like has book fairs at school, like I would love to like see that. But you're you're right. Like there's the mark. There's different markets, right? There's the comic book market. There's the remember when they had comic books at the grocery store? Like they don't have that anymore. Yes. Yeah. You know, but that's that's what introduced me to Fantastic Four. I got my first Fantastic Four issue at a Rite Aid. Uh, uh, maybe it was a Rite Aid. Maybe it was whatever Rite Aid was before. Uh, um, yeah, same with me with uh, with Batman. I think my first Batman issue was uh, like Untold Legends, like that miniseries from the yeah. from the eighties. And I took a, I was like six years old. And I took a pencil and I I drew in all of his eyeballs because I was like because the <laughs> Batman I knew was Adam West on TV. And I'm like, well, why doesn't Batman have eyeballs? He should have eyeballs. So I drew them in. <laughs> You could sell sell it on eBay as like a variant, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, oh yeah, the eyeball variant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um uh all in all, I think that like it's nice that we still have hope and uh uh we can we can look at the past and look towards the future and like still have something to look forward to. I think it's a great time to be a comic fan and a geek in general. Things are totally different. When I was a sophomore in high school, I tried to start comic book club and it was just me and like four friends and it lasted a semester. Nobody wanted, but like, who knows what life would be like now in high school as a, as a geek. Uh, you know, it's, things are different. Um, uh, thank you guys so much for coming on the show. Andrew Gill. Thank you to, uh, anyone who's watching now, Paul Brent, uh, anyone else who's watching. Thank you guys so much for watching us talk about the ultimate Marvel universe. Uh, before we get going, um, if you guys are able to say your social media out loud, do any plugs that you want, tell us what is coming up. Um, Andrew, do you, do you have uh, anything coming up? Where can people find you? All that jazz. I have nothing to plug. Uh, my Twitter is ARC315. Um, that's what it. Yeah. Uh, I was wondering, is ARC your your uh, your initials? Yes. That's then, cool, that, that's cool that your initials make a word. Because uh, mine definitely mm -hmm. don't. Yeah. Mine either. Uh, yeah. Uh, so three one five is because uh, pi is three one four, so three one five is one more than five. Okay, you just rounded it up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, which is not good mathematically because all your measurements no. are going to be fucked up. But okay, I can see yeah. how it works for uh, for a Twitter handle. I think you could actually <laughs> round it down because it's three point one four. It was three. Oh yeah, three point one four one five nine. Yeah, you would. 
Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> you're throwing off everybody's equations, man. You are you are fucking yeah. it all up. <laughs> Uh, but I'll, thank you I'll so much. Hate it when people don't know what pi is anymore. Yeah, you'll you'll make it if if people think pi is three one five. I'll tell you, you know, yeah. that's when you know you made it. Um, I for me, my personal thing, I know I will know that I made it when people spell Dimitri with an H. That's 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 like my thing, you know. When people start asking little Dimitris, oh, do you spell that with an H or no? Yeah, exactly. You know, I'm not the off guy here. Like, I want to be an option, you know? Um, thank you so much for coming on the show, Andrew. Uh, it was your uh, uh, first show, so uh, it was great thank having you. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, no problem. Gil, uh, where can people find you? What do you got coming up? I know that you got a couple things. What's your social yeah. media? Uh, of course, you can always find me at GJ Barron on all of the things. Um, uh, that's my social media. And, of course, the show is Your Late Night on all the things, at Your Late Night on all the uh, the socials. Um, did I tell you last time we talked who our next host is going to be? Yeah, late night? but say it again. Say it again. So if you don't know, Your Late Night is a, is a show that's a talk show, like a late night comedy show. The hook of it is that every month a different comedian hosts it completely in their voice, in their point of view. It's a different show every single month. And uh, this coming uh, month in October, on October 9th, the host of the show is going to be Bugs Bunny himself, Eric Bowser. Uh, so he is, the, by the way, the first POC to ever play Bugs Bunny, the first Asian man to play Bugs Bunny, the first Filipino man to play Bugs Bunny. Uh, and we are just having the time of our lives writing this thing. So it's going to be a really, really good one. And his guest is going to be Derek Mears, who is, of course, Swamp Thing and the Predator oh. and Jason from Friday the 13th. So it's going to be a really huge star-studded show. Awesome. I'm looking forward to it. 9th. So October 9th. All right. Um, uh, may, uh, if you post something, I'll, I'll share it on the key and see, you know, if we get boosted a little bit and see what happens. I'll come um, on that week, too. I'll talk all about it. I'll bring Eric with me. We'll talk. We'll talk. Okay. Okay. Uh, okay. Uh, thanks so much, Gil, for coming on the show yet again. Um, if you guys are out there and uh, you haven't already followed us here on Twitch, follow us here on Twitch. We're also on Instagram at The Keeg Show. we got a lot of social media, so if you can see the screen, you can see all the social media. You guess it. We have it. Uh, we're going to create a TikTok soon. At some point, uh, we're going to create a TikTok. Um, yeah, this is The Keeg Live where we talk about a new geek topic every geek week. This week is Ultimate Marvel. Next week, we're talking about the Jurassic Park franchise. So... Uh, that's going to include Cretaceous, or Camp Cretaceous that I just finished. So if you guys want to tune in, that's every Saturday uh, from 3 p.m. to 5 p.m. Uh, so stay tuned for that. <clears throat> On Friday nights, we have the Keeg Back, where we kick back and we shoot the shit and play some games. That's every Friday night at 9. And new to the Keeg, uh, we have our second episode of Adventures into Darkness, which is every Sunday at 3, where we play Call of Cthulhu, the uh, tabletop RPG. We do it in costume, in character. Uh, it's a pretty cool time. We have the second episode coming out tomorrow. So uh, stay tuned for that one. But once again, thank you guys so much for watching. Thank you, Andrew. Thank you, Gil, so much for coming on the show. Uh, once again, I'm your host, uh, Dimitri Pereira, and this has been The Keeg Live. Take care, guys. Peace out. <laughs>